get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And it's dropped back by Sanford, passed it right to the Kings. They walk it in front, shoot and score! An individual effort by Brown. They tuck it in. It's been relentless pressure by the Kings and another nasty turnover in their own zone by the Blues. Well, you got to make better plays with the puck for sure and better decisions. That's you turn pucks over in the D zone. You know, obviously causes problems. I don't. You know, our puck our puck play's got to get better than it is right now. And the L.A. Kings have extended their win streak to five games, and the Blues lose another one on home ice and are now below 500 here at Enterprise Center. Okay, so that didn't go well. Oof. That that really, really didn't go well. With Alex okay. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, buddy, I need you today. The heck happened last night? You need me today. I need you two today after that one. What happened? The same thing that happened in the series finale against the San Jose Sharks. The same thing that happened in four of the games against the Arizona Coyotes. And the same thing that has happened in the second game of these series this season. They make decisions that aren't, they're making poor decisions in their own zone. I mean, you heard Craig Bruby say it on the return, and that's what everyone is talking about today. That pass by Zach Sanford in his own zone that resulted in the turnover, which resulted in that goal. Now, with that being said, it was a ugly loss in terms of the score. But for what the Blues had, I thought that they provided a lot. They were, you, again, you got to tip your hat when you go against goaltenders like we did against R.C. Kemper. Guys, Jonathan Quick looked like Jonathan Quick via 2013. I mean, he was stopping everything. And the Blues had chances. And they had chances from all four lines. I mean, the first five minutes of that hockey game last night, the line of McEachern, Clifford, and De La Rose was the best line on yep. the ice. I mean, they did exactly what Craig Berube wanted them to do in the third period when everyone just expected the Blues were just mailing this one in, right? Because, look, they're down 2 nothing, not going to come back for the way Quick's been playing. I think the Kings were expecting the Blues to be done. And then, lo and behold, boom, Blues 14 shots on goal. This team continues to empty the gas tank with what they have on the ice. It's just not enough right now. And... You can make excuses of that being enough personnel, whatever you want it to be, but there's two sides of this hockey game for me. 
One, it's the poor decisions in their own zone, which has been plaguing them this entire year. But the other is the fact that they're working with 25% less of what they had. I think I saw the stat in the broadcast last night. That was... God, I got to pull my book out, but that was the 12th game, if I'm not mistaken, that they finished a hockey game with less than 20 players, which is 26% of the season. 26. So basically they lost a guy in 12 of their games. Exactly. 26% of your season, you finished a hockey game with less than 20 players. I mean, it's going to take a toll on some guys right now. And again, you're upset because of the plays that they did but you're also impressed by the fact that they are still in these hockey games and still emptying the tank to try and get points. I So let, let's start with Sanford because that's the play that we're all talking about. When mm-hmm. we say they're not, they're not making the plays in their own zone, it, it's not only him, but the plays that stand out, especially over the last two games, were his because they directly resulted in goals for the opposition. This one was a backbreaker. This one just flat out could not happen last night. And it also couldn't happen because it is the exact same mistake that he made in the game prior. I can live with guys, especially young guys, making mistakes. I can. I got no issues with it. We've seen Jordan Cairo make mistakes this year. It happens. That's part of the uh, the learning curve. Hell, Ryan O'Reilly's made mistakes this year. It happens. What I can't live with is making effort mistakes in the exact same way in multiple games in a row. Zach Sanford has made the exact same mistake that led to the exact same issue in two straight games. Yeah. I know you're without depth right now. You have basically nobody on the bench that a casual Blues fan has ever heard of. And yet I think Zach Sanford should not be in the lineup in their next game. I, I you, you have to do something. You, you have to. Uh, maybe it's silly, but you've got to prove a point to this guy, man. Sanford is a significant player for you. And the plays that he has been making in the last two games are inexcusable. It cannot happen. You can't have something like that when you're down this many players. You can you can't have awareness mistakes. You can't have effort mistakes right now because you are without too much skill. And so everything from the stuff that you can control, the awareness and the effort, that has to be at 100% capability at all times in these games. And last night that was not the case too often for Zach Sanford and it's now back-to-back games that that's been the case yeah and look I mean there's no excuses for that I mean even Craig Berube said you can't make plays like that now went back and watched that video a couple of times Sanford bad pass there but as Craig Berube said in that post-game press conference you also have to get back on the play and defend that mistake but it's a guy that's been on the ice for a minute 30 your defenseman there has been is exhausted and he's already drained because Carl Gunnarsson was out of the game at that point and you've got a guy in Tory Krug who ended up playing like 20 minutes in the last two periods last night. Yeah, I, 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 I can't it. blame him for the forward making a brutal mistake I, in that. I spot. get it. You can't he has to have awareness of his line mates at that point, too. It's true. You do. But that's where it comes down to the five man unit. And especially if somebody is gassed. I mean, yeah, you can't make that pass. Joey was talking about it on the broadcast. He's been there as a forward before where you make that pass but you give it to a guy who was gassed and that's why his stick was basically up at his waist. But again, we talked about it on that post game and it's the five man unit mentality. That's what Craig Bruby runs this team off of. If somebody makes a mistake, everyone steps up 90 seconds on the ice. He's gassed. There's no question. But again, 
you have to recover from that. You hope the play doesn't happen, but you have to recover from that. But with that being said, it's unfortunate that this keeps happening to Zach Sanford, and he is such a streaky player because for everyone that's saying, well, Zach Sanford does nothing on the ice, look at him, he's useless. Go back to that game against the San Jose Sharks that they won. Zach Sanford was a major part of that one. When he wants to play his game, he is effective for the Blues. It's just a matter of getting him being effective. And the problem for me right now in terms of Zach Sanford is it's a maturity thing. It's a confidence thing. And I think that's what this Blues team is suffering from right now. They got a lot of guys who are lacking confidence on the ice. And Zach Sanford, that to me was the epitome of lacking confidence. Not knowing that you're strong enough on the puck that you can move it up the ice and get your guys off. He's trying to make the easier play, giving it to somebody else to make the play so that he can get off the ice. It's also a dangerous play, though. Very dangerous. Right back into your own zone, in the danger zone to where you've got one guy there and the opponent is right there as well. It just, it was silly to make that play. It it was. And, and, you know, Joe has made the comparisons a lot with Justin Falk in terms of why he's playing with more confidence because he knows the coach is going to tap him on the back when he goes back to the bench. I think Zach Sanford's suffering from that aspect because he knows if he makes a bad play, he's going back to that bench and he's going to get an earful from Craig Berube, Steve Ott, somebody like that. So I think there's some lacking of confidence right now from Zach Sanford. That's the biggest issue for me. But again, it's a five-man unit. And as much as we're going to talk about that goal being the dagger, you are still down two. You still have an opportunity to get back into the hockey game. For me, as much as I want to talk about that, I also look at it as missed opportunities on the power play, missed opportunities with offensive opportunities in the zone. It's so hard to evaluate this team right now, BK, because you have guys doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. You have guys that are playing accelerated roles that shouldn't be in those roles right now. And I think it's hard for the coaching staff to evaluate that. That's fair. There is one line that we can evaluate after last night, and it's got to be better. It has to be better with with how many guys they're without right now. Sammy Blay, Braden Shin, Mike Hoffman. That line was on the ice for nine minutes and 40 seconds in five on five ice time last night. They finished the game, finished the game with one shot. They allowed 11 shots against, and you're right. It's a five man unit. There's, there's defensemen that are a part of this as well, but I'm specifically looking at the forwards in terms of the scoring chances for scoring chances going up against, it was six to nothing against the blues. When Blay, Shin and Hoffman were on the ice can't happen with those guys. Your, your third and fourth lines right now, especially with Sanford playing like this, I mean, your fourth line was arguably your best line last night, and that can't be the case for extended periods of time. Shin and Hoffman in particular, that duo, they've got to be better than they were last night. And I know Shin played with physicality. I'm not calling him out specifically. I don't want to do that. But that line has to produce more if the Blues over the next week or two, while they're still dealing with these injuries, if they're going to be able to put together some wins, they need more from those top two lines in particular. Yeah, they, I mean, there's no question that they do. I mean, if you're if look, if you don't have more from your top two lines, you're going to have be shut out like you were the uh, last night. You still put 31 shots on goal, but I think 13 of those 31 came from your fourth line and seven of those 31 came from your defensemen. So we're talking what? 11 goals from the top three other lines. It's not good enough. Um, With that being said, you just, 
again, this is so hard because there's the, there's a chemistry issue right now because you're you're moving guys in and out, right? Sammy Blaze playing up there with Braden Shannon, Mike Hoffman. Sammy Blay has been on the third line. He's been on the first line. He's been on the fourth line. Like there's roles right now that I think people are still searching for in these units. And when one piece of that puzzle isn't moving or one piece of the wheel isn't moving, the whole wheel's going to fall off. So if Shen's playing the way that he does and Mike Hoffman's the playing the way that he does and Sammy Blay's playing the way that he does, well, that's great. But you have three individuals playing different ways rather than playing the one dynamic way that's going to create offense, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. I'm just having a tough time making excuses for one of your top two lines. Like, if that was your, if you were talking about the third line, fourth line, where you've had a lot of guys going in and out, it's not like Hoffman's been up there with with Shin. We, we've seen those two together. Sammy Blay has a very specific role, and he knows exactly what it is. And he's being asked to do nothing more than that specific role. And so I, I can excuse some of what we've seen in particular from the third line. I, I can't really do that for that second line. Those guys just have to be better right now while you have so many guys out of the lineup. And all of this, the backdrop is the injuries. And last night, uh, Gunnarsson goes out. He is now officially, as of this morning, he has been placed on injured reserve. So we're not going to see him for quite some time. We don't know the severity of it. They said after the game last night that he would be reevaluated. And now you're in this mode of a, a little bit of panic. Uh, honestly, I mean, you... You look back at the last five games, their two wins came in overtime. They came in the three-on-three overtime hockey. If you exclude those two, they are one and six in their last seven games, not including those two overtime wins. I mean, it's it's getting pretty serious now, and those are games against the teams that are kind of battling for this fourth spot in the Western Conference playoff standing. So, you look at Arizona, San Jose, L.A. L.A.'s pretty good, man. This is a team that is no longer a joke. Quick was awesome last night. And Bennington, thank God for him. He stood on his head. It could have been worse than 3 nothing in that game. They're going to have to figure some things out, and that's easier said than done with all of these injuries right now. But they've got to find some answers and quick. Otherwise, this could get a little problematic as you get to more of the meat of this schedule over the next month or so. The good news, if there is good news, because look, I think that also took a hit emotionally for some of those guys watching Gunnarsson go down because we can all agree that was a nasty looking injury. And even Barubi said after he's going to be out for a while. Um, The good news on that sense, if there is, is you have Nico Mikola who can step in on the defensive side. Like the depth in terms of D isn't going to be affected. The problem is on the offensive side because you have no help coming. Like you have Nathan Walker right now who could be available for you, but again, you're throwing a guy into a position like an Austin Pagansky who's going to be playing an accelerated role but really shouldn't be playing that accelerated role. They called up a Dakota Joshua who is basically an AHL player, but he's got to do a 14-day quarantine before he can even play. Or I think it's a 7-day quarantine because he's playing in the AHL. There's no, there's no troops on the way. There's no help. There's no NHL talent for you right now. So it's with it's working with what you have, and it's utilizing pieces that you have and hoping that some of these guys are coming back. Bozak looked great. Hopefully he's on the ice again today. Maybe we get some news on Jaden Schwartz soon. 
There's no route. There's no rallying the troops. There's no reinforcements. This is the group, and they're going to have to figure out a, a solution to this problem ASAP. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved throughout the day today. We will be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider, coming up at 1130. Certainly have plenty of questions for him about how the Blues make it through this current status while they have so many guys that are hurt also Bruce Boshi three-time World Series champion a manager that certainly saw his fair share of Nolan Arenado he's going to join us coming up at 12 15 but coming up next Albert Pujols maybe retiring after the year maybe not we kind of went back and forth last night as you look back at the decision not to re-sign Pujols do you think the Cardinals made the right choice we'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN this is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So it might be the last year of Albert Pujols' career. We're not totally sure, but it seems like it might be. So Albert Pujols' wife posted on Instagram last night announcing originally this is going to be his last season. He, she said, quote, today is the first day of the last season of one of the most remarkable careers in sports. I'm talking about my husband, Albert Pujols, who since the time he was a child would eat, sleep and breathe this sport. Basically went on from there. She then went on to change the post, saying this is not an official statement of Pujols' retirement. I'm simply sending my husband with blessings into the 2021 season. Today is the uh, first day of the last season based on his contract of one of the most remarkable careers in sports, end quote. So it might or might not be the end of Albert Pujols' career. I think it's fair to say it is likely going to be the final season for Albert Pujols. And it gives us the opportunity to kind of have, with the benefit of hindsight, a look back at the decision from 2011-2012 of the Cardinals deciding to let Albert Pujols walk, let him go out to L.A. 10 years, $240 million. As we look back, Alex, at that decision, I got shredded a little bit by Dan and by the text line earlier today, but I really do sincerely believe this. I think it ended up being best for all parties. The Cardinals ended up being able to go out and get Carlos Beltran and Lance Berkman. They ended up being able to keep Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina for their entire careers here in St. Louis. They were able to go try to fill the hole in the outfield by trading for Jason Hayward and trading for Marcelo Zuna and then bringing in Paul Goldschmidt and bringing in Nolan Arenado. They had money and resources available to be able to go make those moves over the last decade. And in the meantime... Albert Pujols was not the same hitter that he was here in St. Louis at any point of his L.A. career. His first five seasons, he was 23% above league average. His last four years, he was 13% below league average. His OPS plus over the last uh, four years is basically Harrison Bader. He's been a, a pretty bad hitter the last four years. And so, Alex, as I look back at this decision, I actually think that Cardinals fans because they were able to see the best without ever having to deal with the worst from Albert I think it ended up being probably for the best for all parties in my opinion that Albert ended up going to LA as hard as it was to see I can't believe I'm agreeing with you on this because I think this is one of those things like you said you got roasted on and I'm imagining I will too but I I'm I agree 
I think this was the best thing that could have happened for Albert Pujols in terms of how his career trended. Now, maybe it was different. Maybe he would have been the same player that he was or close to that for five years if he stayed in St. Louis um, uh, with that contract extension. But I would have hated for Albert Pujols to be viewed as a cap, not a cap because there's no cap, but a financial casualty for the Cardinals. Yes. I would have hated for Albert Pujols' legacy to be looked at as, well, you're too much money and you're keeping the Cardinals from competing in the future. Or you're the reason we lost Adam Wainwright. You're the reason we lost Yadier Molina. I think that would have tampered with Albert Pujols' legacy in St. Louis. Albert will forever go down as one of the best, if not the best player in an 11-year span in Cardinals or baseball history for what he performed on the field. Like, honestly, look at his baseball reference in that time. It's the it's one of it's maybe the best decade in the history of baseball. It's video. It's video game numbers in terms of just putting it on beginner mode and just destroying everything. Like, that's what Albert Pujols. So as much as I would have loved to see him end his career in St. Louis, as much as I would have loved to see Albert Pujols been like Stan Musial and start and finish his career. I think it's better for Albert and it's better for the city of St. Louis to say you were incredible for 11 years. You had an amazing major league big career, but you'll forever be known as a God basically in St. Louis when it comes to baseball for what you did. I'm with you guys. I, I really do believe that it was better for Albert and better for the Cardinals that he went to Los Angeles. And I understand that a lot of people on the text line are going to say, well, no, we can't say that we love Albert, you know? And, but to me, I think, here in St. Louis, we're always in that win now. We always want the Cardinals to win. We're always in that win now mode. And if Albert struggled, which then with his cap was a burden on the Cardinals, I think we would have started to put pressure on Albert and started to attack more on Mo and the Cardinals front office. I understand that now we look at we. It's easy for us to say, yeah, no, no, we really want out. We should have kept Albert. You know, we would have loved to have him here. But I think. I think you just think of it, we're always in win now, but we're always saying, how do the Cardinals win? We're never saying, oh, they're resetting or this or that. I just think with the, our win now mentality that we it would have been worse for Albert and the fans would have been harder on him, especially if he struggled. And honestly, he may have struggled more because he, there is no DH. He would have had yeah. to play first base every day for the last 10 years. It would have been a honeymoon phase, it would have felt like, you know, where you're trying to make something out of it and then it just fell apart. That's the thing is, if it was a couple of years at the back end of the deal that were bad, Oh, you deal with that. That's Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. That's what you expect when you sign a 10-year contract with a player. Like, it's possible Nolan Arenado's last year or two of this deal ends up being uh, less than ideal for the Cardinals. That's totally fine. You sign up for that knowing uh, at the front end, hey, that last year or two might hurt. Same thing for the Dexter Fowler contract when the Cardinals signed it. You kind of knew, okay, that last year might be rough. The problem is when you get into a five-year period where it's really tough on the team to be able to build around that player. And that's what happened with Albert Pujols. The last four years, 13% below league average. You don't expect it to be a whole lot better this season. And I think you made a really good point, Tanner, about the fact that the National League also didn't have the DH up until this last season. I don't know where he would have played for the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. His foot is at a point now that he really can't play in the field. It's just not something he can do. And so if you would have... If he would have been a pinch hitter for the Cardinals, which is probably what his role yeah. had to be the last five plus years, now you're looking at something where you're paying $25 million per season for a pinch hitter coming off of the bench. I don't know if the frustration would have been directed at him or at management, but there absolutely would have been frustration over that, yeah. and it would have been justified. 
because you would have had a guy who's making up a fifth, a sixth, maybe between 10 and 15 percent of the Cardinals payroll over that time, whose exclusive role was basically a go out there and pinch it for us. Yeah, that would have been a problem for Cardinals fans. You would have been frustrated by that and you would have been absolutely justified in being frustrated by that. Before we get to Jr. Can I uh, can I bug both of you to put on the tinfoil hat for me for a second? Sure. Oh, Hit it for me, T-Bone. Let me take you back to February 5th, BK. John Mozeliak calls up the Angels and said, Hey, uh, I got Dexter Fowler, and look, we, we need to get rid of this money. He's, he's clogging up the outfield for some of these guys. Look, just take him off our hands and in return, give us a player to be named Lair. We'll figure that out. Angels are like, oh my God, give me, yeah, give me Dexter Fowler. Of course, we'll put him in our lineup. Yeah, for $2 million, we just got to spend $2 million. Yeah, absolutely. You me? Of course. Now let's go to February 23rd. Albert Pujols' wife puts it out on Instagram and says, hey, look, Pujols is uh, right off into the sunset final season. What if the Angels pick up that phone and say, hey, remember that player to be named later? You get your King Albert Pujols back for one more season. I'm down. If he's hitting all right at the deadline, the Cardinals could use a guy like that. Seriously, a, a nice guy to hit coming off the bench especially if Edmundo Sosa doesn't work out by the way talk about him later today if Edmundo Sosa is not somebody that is helping you out significantly on your roster I'd be down what seriously (laughs) what what a way of the end of a career of a legacy of Albert Pujols in terms of stardom in St. Louis trade or uh, goes to free agency gets paid doesn't pan out and then finish his career as a player to be named later in the Dexter Fowler trade. In all seriousness, I bet you he would have a Matt Holiday type of moment at some point in his time here in St. Louis. If he oh, was traded here, if yeah. he ended up August, September, and then into October, if he had those moments here in St. Louis, he will at some point, bold prediction of first we got to get the trade and then him actually getting into the lineup for the Cardinals. Again, tinfoil people. He would 100% have one of those big moments for the Cardinals. No doubt oh, yeah. in my mind. Yeah. He'll run last at bat maybe. Something like that. It'd yeah, be incredible. Which is, that, that's, that's what happened for Holiday. There would be a moment similar to that for uh, Albert Pujols if that were to take place. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford's our Blues insider. we got to ask him what the heck the Blues are going to do to be able to overcome these injuries. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line because we got some questions for our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford, joining us here on the show. JR, I, I would normally ask you how you doing, man. Uh, how are the Blues doing? I think is the better question right now. Yeah, tough times. It really is. And, uh, you know, this uh, over the, the years that I've covered the Blues, probably going on 20 years, there's just times, and maybe they only happen every three or four years, but there's just times where you're just so banged up and you're looking for answers and the answers aren't coming. Like Braden Shen last night said, wins are hard to come by and, and you just have to figure it out. And so uh, we can get into it and we can uh, discuss some general areas here, but this just happens to be one of those stretches where they're just going to have to to battle 
uh, because they're without so many of their key players. And, and you know, it feels like Jr. especially with Shen's comments after Gunnarsson went down last night. And look, Gunnarsson is a well-liked guy in that locker room, and you could see there was some emotion from Shenner talking about it. But it just seems like from the perspective of the players, you have to imagine it's kind of throw your hands up when another, another guy goes down because it, it feels like there's nothing that they can do to keep guys healthy throughout an entire game. It's really the situation, Alex. And, and let's be honest here with uh, Carl Gunnarsson. He's a depth defenseman, but I think that did affect them last night to see a teammate who they really like and, and really enjoy having around. You saw, you heard the words that Brayden Shen said last night. He's he's a warrior. He's a guy who's well-liked in the locker room. And now all of a sudden he's laying on the ice and potentially his career, or at least his time in St. Louis with the Blues is over, 34 years old with uh, uh, just the remainder of this year left on his contract. So we'll see what happens with Carl Gunnarsson now on IR and it looks like he'll be out long-term, but it just adds to the list of injuries. And while Carl Gunnarsson isn't going to go out and score a bunch of game-winning goals like he did in Game 2 of uh, the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, he was a guy who, who does help in this uh, situation that the Blues are in right now. So, JR, with with how banged up this team is, I, I'm, I'm struggling, and I know Alex said the same thing earlier today, with how to even evaluate this team because – They've lost six of their last nine games. Two of those wins came in overtime. Seemingly every game prior to last night was a one game goal or one one goal game rather in one direction or the other. How do we even go about fairly evaluating this roster given how many of their highly paid players aren't on the ice right now? Well, I hear where you're coming from. I, I think that this is a stretch where it's not about evaluations. It's just about playing hard. It's, it's about effort. And it's forgetting about who's out, which I know it becomes cliche. Craig Bruby says, hey, next man up. We're just going to go out there and play. Uh, but the thing is, those top guys are going to have to produce. You know, I had the tweet last night saying that uh, the top six had combined for just seven shots on goal at one point. I know you were discussing in the previous segment, BK, uh, some stats about the the production from that Shen Hoffman and Blay line, or, or lack thereof, production, and and so they're going to need it from those guys, the Ryan O'Reillys, uh, the David Perrons, so on and so forth. But to to me, right now, we can't look at the Blues and say, okay, they're fourth in the West, or if they if they don't get two points out of this next stretch of games, they're going to fall to fifth. I just think that this is a a unique circumstance where you just have so many challenges with the lineup. And so Craig Bruby, to be honest, he's just sitting down, you know, the night before the game, hours before the game, trying to figure out who can play where and who's out with COVID. And, oh, yeah, that's a false positive there. Okay, when are we getting shorts back? I just think it's a situation right now where everybody that wears that blue note has to put their head down and not care about who they're playing, but just play the game. Just play the game. In two weeks, you could be sitting there with uh, Schwartz back in your lineup, and, and who knows, maybe Preko will be back in the lineup magically in two weeks. But you just have to play the game, and I think that's what the Blues aren't doing right now. They're too tight. They're too uptight. They're waiting for the next mistake. When that next turnover does happen and it's in the back of their net, you see the heads look up to the sky. They can't do that. JR, uh, Ryan O'Reilly had some interesting comments last night after the game. He said, you know, we got to learn to lose together as a team before we can win together as a team. And we were talking about that on the post game. Darren Pang was with Curbs and Joey and I. And, you know, I brought up the fact it was kind of comparing it to what 2018-19 was, where it was a bunch of guys that was trying to figure out that team chemistry. And Panger corrected me and he said, look, in 18-19, it was more about ego. It was about guys checking it at the door and playing as a unit. He said, right now, 
now it just gets the sense, and I'm curious your thoughts, if it feels like guys are doing too much to try and save the player next to them because they care too much about them, right? Like they're trying to save the game themselves because they don't want another guy to look bad. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, let's break that down a little bit. First of all, everybody uh, may know that uh, Ryan O'Reilly's father is a consultant for athletes, professional athletes. He does a lot of work. Maybe it goes beyond athletes, but I know he does a lot of Zoom calls with people and, and just try to work on their mind frame, their mindset. I know that Brian and his son Ryan have had hundreds of uh, conversations you know, since Ryan started playing in the NHL and before about having the proper mindset. So when Ryan O'Reilly sits behind a camera to do a Zoom, you know, he's, he's not mailing it in. I think he's giving you his honest thoughts, and he's probably using some of those discussions that he and his dad have had for a long time. So that really struck me last night when he said we need to learn to lose together before we can learn to win together. And, you know, I haven't spoken to Ryan about that. You know, I did have his uh, dad on uh, a podcast one time for about an hour, and he got into those types of things. And the bottom line is here is, you know, when you're watching the Blues play and, and they find themselves down two to nothing – it doesn't feel like they're in it together. It feels like, like you said, Alex, this guy's trying to make this play. This guy's trying to get the puck back into the, the zone. Why is he doing that? Teammates are kind of wondering themselves. And so I think it just becomes some sort of discombobulated mess with them right now. The D zone turnovers right now are absolutely killing them. So what they need, teams are going to go through losing stretches. What they need is for everybody to go, oh, yep, I messed up right there. We need to come together. I'm going to be better on the next play. You're going to help me. You're going to help me. And, and everybody pulls together. And I think that's the situation. You can lose the hockey game, but as long as you walk off the ice and you felt like, hey, we, we tried, we gave it our best, we lost together, and tomorrow night, like Ryan said, we're going to come out and win together. I don't see that right now with this Blues team. So you brought up the play that I think immediately comes into mind for a lot of Blues fans as they're thinking about this, Jared. And we're talking to our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and to the Athletic. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Zach Sanford and the pass that he had in his own zone. This is the second straight game where a play uh, almost identical plays happened that led directly to a goal for the opposition. Last night, it was basically the backbreaking goal that ended the game for all intents and purposes for the blues. JR, I know I'm not a coach. I I'm not Craig Berube. I'll trust whatever he decides to do. And I think blues fans would certainly do the same. I would have a really tough time putting Zach Sanford back into my lineup in this next game after what we've seen the last two games. And that's full well knowing there aren't a whole lot of other options. But when you make that same mistake in back-to-back games, it's, it's going to be tough to put him back on the ice, no? Well, and, and you could probably go back to uh, the road trip in Arizona, turnover in the offensive zone, and then Justin Falk goes to clear and Zach kind of mishandles it there at the blue line. So I think that uh, he's had a stretch of turnovers here that have been super costly. Unfortunately for the Blues, they're in a situation with these injuries that you just don't have a lot of other options. So, you know, if, if you get a Nathan Walker out of quarantine, a Dakota Joshua out of quarantine, uh, a, a Jaden Schwartz back from injury, perhaps you can give Zach a breather. Uh, but uh, it's just a situation with, with him where he's, he's really struggling right now. So, um, you know, that situation, BK, the puck can't go backwards. It, it's got to go up ice. There's little time left in the period. Uh, sure, Fox stand there, but it's not the right play. And, you know, I know Zach uh, Sanford throughout the past couple of years, he's talked about, you know, fighting himself and the, the mental challenges in terms of going out there and, and making good plays. And Steve Ott's been in his corner and helped him. And we saw Zach Sanford that scored 16 goals last year. But, you know, that Zach Sanford isn't wearing number 12 right now. And he's got to be a lot better. And I do think that he would be out of the lineup 
if they had any other options. So, JR, I, I'm. This is just you and I talking here. So, I'm just curious because neither of us are coaches. But do you do you do you put into consideration if you're Craig Berube and the coaching staff of switching up the game plan a little bit? And what I mean by that is rather than the heavy blue style forecheck that we see, where it's everyone going in and banging the bodies to get puck possession. Do you look at something that L.A. was doing last night, maybe, because you have a lot of guys that aren't normally top six forwards. Do you look at opportunities of maybe trying to utilize the speed and the youth if you're Craig Berube and the coaching staff? I guess you could. Um, you know, you try anything at this point, I guess, is my initial answer. Uh, but I think even though they don't have an identity right now, if you're doing anything that's causing even more confusion and learning as they go, I yeah. just think it's going to complicate matters. So I think they need to stick to what they're doing. And these players that they're bringing in, look, they don't know uh, different styles of play. I mean, you're talking about the De La Roses and the Paganskis, and, and they're just trying to say, hey, I belong in the lineup and you know do what they've been doing for uh, 15 years and you know since they started playing hockey. So it, it's just a situation where I think Craig Bruby has to stick to the basics and, and tell these guys get out there and, and play hard. So they're not thinking. That's the biggest thing. They're thinking right now, and you want to take that thinking away from them. JR, last question that I've got for you here. We are in the midst of this stretch against the the California team, San Jose, Anaheim, L.A. This is supposed to be where the Blues were able to kind of rack up some points before you get into that stretch of playing a bunch of games against Vegas and Colorado. Can we even, I guess you kind of answered this earlier, but can we even view it that way anymore? I mean, you, you basically have another two weeks against these teams, and it's almost every other day that you're playing is it just kind of survive as much as possible and hope that you can get to 500 in these games now, as opposed to what we thought it was going to be, where it was racking up points? Yeah, I think it is BK. And I think, you know, you, you, you do the predictions at the beginning of the season, you know, Vegas and Colorado and probably St. Louis are going to be up at the top. And then uh, all of us put uh, these California teams at the bottom. Look, LA is playing really well. Forget about the fact they came in here winning four straight in a row. Like watching that game last night, you know why they've won four straight. Mm-hmm. They're aggressive. You know, they attack in the offensive end and defensive end. They were sitting back and, and quick was just unbelievable. Like uh, all those blues LA series, you know, from yesteryear, you know, that's how he looked last night. So he was terrific. So yeah, I don't think with the situation the blues are in that you can even talk about bagging two points against, you know, one of these uh, lesser teams in the in the division right now because the, the Blues just don't have the manpower uh, unless they're going to come and, and and play as hard as they can. Uh, I just don't see it. So so yeah, you look at a team like L.A. Heck, San Jose beat the Blues. You know, second game of that two game set. So the biggest thing right now, I think, the point that I'd like to make is that uh, the Blues are getting ready after this game against L.A. on uh, Wednesday. They're going to go on the road and play twelve of their next fourteen on the road. And for whatever reason, they've been better on the road. This year, six and two, as opposed to last night, they dropped to what four, five, and and two at mm-hmm. home. So it just hasn't been happening at, at Enterprise Center. And uh, perhaps you get out on the road, the old cliche, uh, more focus and and play more north south, and and that's exactly what they need right now. Last thing before we get you out of here, Jr. Any update at all on? Uh, I know Bozak and Schwartz seem like the guys that are closest to returning. Uh, any update on those guys? Uh, just uh, before I went on the air here, I think the Blues are on the ice. Uh, Luke Korak, our good buddy, tweeted, no Bozak on the ice, and I don't believe Schwartz is either. So optional skate, uh, but uh, no Bozak, which 
you know, I, I wouldn't be alarmed by that. He skated for the first time with the team yesterday. A lot of times they, they say, hey, let's take the next day off. So we'll see. Perhaps there was a setback. We'll, we'll hear from Craig Ruby uh, later. But uh, to me, I, I thought Jaden Schwartz was coming back sooner than later. And the fact that he's not out there, um, little, uh, I guess, uh, you know, newsy. So, so we'll see what the news is on that once we hear from Craig Ruby later. Mm. All right, JR, thanks so much for the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Yep, sounds good. Absolutely. That is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Man, I wish it was warm and fuzzy to talk about the Blues. I really do. It's it's hard to do right now, though. I mean, it it's the reality of the situation they're in. It was a, It's honestly a minor miracle that they were able to overcome the injuries for a few games and actually pull out a few victories. That's, that is the more surprising thing. It's less surprising that when you have five of your top nine forwards that are out of the lineup, it's really difficult to score. Yeah. And we've now seen, what is it? The last two games, zero five on five goals. And it's kind of going into that third game. It, it's going to be hard for them to be able to do this. And Jr. mentioned it there. It's absolutely true. Your guys that are still out there, your highly paid Ryan O'Reilly's Braden shins, these guys that are still in the lineup. Those are the ones that have to step up now, even more so now than ever. And that power play that we talk so much about Hoffman, Perron, all those guys, they have to help this team win some games in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's the moneymaker. And if you go back in the last five games, there's been three or four, you could argue that the power play lost them the game because they didn't score the timely goal to put the momentum back on their side. And those are the big time players. Those are the ones that are getting paid. And if they're not performing there, that's the thing. If you're going to look at anything and critique anything, that's what you need to critique because that's grinding it out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers let's start with this one guys what is the major league matchup that you would be most interested in seeing in 2021 other than Padres versus Dodgers we talked about this briefly with Danny Mack earlier today as well but if you could watch one series between two teams oh you got to be in person for it what would it be other than Padres versus Dodgers Pirates Rockies okay Take two. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. Oh, sorry, that's not it. That's not it. Um, I mean, obviously, you're a huge uh, Trevor yeah. Story fan. Wow, and I want to see who's going to get the first overall pick in the that draft. That's a fair point. Um, boy. I think I'd like to see kind of a... a Cardinals Cubs or Cardinals Brewers. I know that sounds so cliche. It, it very much is. Yeah. But hear me out for a minute. Way Th- to play those, to the are, listeners. those are the two teams that are so unknown, right? Like, you know what the Braves are. You know what the Nationals are. You know what the Mets are. You know what the Padres and Dodgers are. A lot of people don't know what the Cardinals or the Cubs or the Brewers are. Okay, fine. Cliche answer, but whatever. I thought it was good. <laughs> I've heard worse answers. It, it, it is certainly like if you're looking at the Cardinals schedule, I would say Cardinals versus Brewers would be the series that I just don't know what I like. Are these teams legitimately World Series contenders or are they? No, I can tell you. No. Mm -mm. Are you talking about the the Brewers and the Cubs? Yeah. No. They're playoff contenders. Do you you think that either has a chance to be a World Series contender? No. I'm talking about the Cardinals being World Series contenders. And then I'm talking about those other teams that can compete with the Cardinals. I think I would rather see the Cardinals versus the Braves or the Mets, though. Like if I if I could pick one Cardinal series not against one of those National League West contenders, 
I think I would pick one of those teams at the top of the NL East this year because I think those are the ones that you're really competing Braves with. Would be good. I would that agree. Supremacy. My other one will be Cardinals White Sox. That'd Just be fun. I want because they play this year. I want to see yeah. them go against La Russa. And also, that's a really good team. And I could throw Minnesota in that if I'm going to go interleague, too, because Minnesota is going to be decent again also. So, yeah. But if I could go that's a good one. National League, that's not Cardinals. I would say Dodgers and Braves. And then if I had to keep it like within the division, I would say Braves and Nationals. Because as Danny Mack mentioned earlier today, they have good pitching if they're healthy and their lineup could be sneaky good josh bell going in there add him with juan soto and then the braves offense to me is just loaded their pitching's a question mark so that would be my series padres nationals would be good too two really good pitching matchups yeah and and obviously the number one series that we're all going to be interested in watching this year is dodgers versus padres that's Pirates Rockies. Not quite. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, it seems like there were two different Mike Schiltz over the last couple of years. The first year, he was aggressive on the base paths. He was making things happen, and I loved it. Then last year, they were super conservative on the bases, and honestly, it was a little boring to watch. Who do you think is the real Mike Schilt? Is he aggressive or a little more conservative on the base paths? Alex, what do you think? I think Mike Schilt is an aggressive manager. Like, that's how he wants to play. I think he was playing to the season last year. I think last season was, look, you're short. We got a lot of games in a little amount of time. These guys don't get days off. You're dealing with everything on the outside. I think that was a different Mike Schilt. That was an adaption Mike Schilt of playing to what you have. I think the real Mike Schilt was the guy who likes that whitey ball to where guys are running in terms of contact. They're running on first pitch, stealing bases. That's the real Mike Schilt. And now with the weapons he has, I think he's going to revert back to that. I agree with you. I think it's aggressive Mike Schilt. Two reasons I don't think he was, was I think he was conservative with the schedule last year. But also, let's be honest, the offense wasn't very good. So he's not going to run because I do think he likes to do more of the hit and run type. So I don't think last year he could do that because he didn't have the weapons. This year he should have the weapons. So I would expect Mike Schilt to become more aggressive. I'm just wondering, who are the guys that you expect to steal a bunch of bases? Bader, Edmund. Carlson. Carlson's got some speed. Don't overlook Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt can steal bases. He can. He doesn't do it very often. He's a really good base runner. He's not much of a... He doesn't steal very many bags. I think they'll be somewhere in between as kind of like a cop out. I think he leans more aggressive. I think if he had... If Colton Wong was on the team this year, I think you'd see a lot more of it. Losing him, I think, is a really big deal. And so I'll be interested to see how they utilize Tommy Edmond, especially if he's at the top of the order. He's probably the number one guy that if you were looking for somebody like if I told you now one player on the Cardinals will finish this year with 25 stolen bases, it. I think Tommy Edmond would probably be the unanimous answer to that question, right? Is there yeah. anybody else that you could see? I could see Bader, but I just don't know if he's going to get on base enough. That's the concern. I could see Carlson, too. I can see Carlson being an aggressive base runner this season. Two guys that have I'd speed. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Two guys that have speed that could go under the radar. Tyler O'Neill is really fast, yeah. and Lane Thomas is the same way, too. So those O'Neal two just guys. just doesn't steal bags, and I don't understand I know. it. It's weird. I'd love to see it more. Especially when you have that Hulk running at you, like, I'm not going to catch the ball and try and tag you. He has six career stolen bases. He's only been caught stealing once. So he's only attempted to steal a base seven times in his career. It's a pretty high percentage. And three, very high. I would love to see it more often from him. Same thing from, from Harrison Bay. He's got speed. We all know that. I'd love to see it more often. Over under. Yachty, five or more stolen bases this year. He's uh, sneakily good at under. it. He is. Under. I'll take. He had six in 2019. That's fine. I'm taking the under. I think the smart money is on the under. 
You are right, though, that he does it a lot more than you would expect. So if you go back like 2019, he had six. 2018, he had four. 2017, he had nine. Nine stolen bases in 2017. Yeah, but that was also with offense where he had nobody who can score runs. Now he's got Arenado and Goldschmidt to where they'll be able to pick up RBIs. You're not getting easy outs. (laughs) Last one for you guys. 65780 from the 314. Guys, do you think that Mizzou will be able to get revenge and beat Ole Miss tonight? Alex, how are you feeling about this Mizzou Tigers team, man? Uh, not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. No, look, they got uh, they got Tillman back, which is huge, mm-hmm. which gives them that depth in the big man in the middle. I'm telling you, their shooting still makes me really nervous. It like, it, it, they're on a hot streak, and then they just can't hit the backboard when it comes to it. So, I'll say they'll... No, I'm going to say they're going to miss out on this. I'm going to say they're going to blow this Really? One. Yeah. I think they bounce back in this one. I think they beat them this time around. I think they do, too. I have confidence. Ole Miss was lights out shooting in that, that last matchup between these two teams. So I'll go ahead and take the Tigers tonight. I don't feel great about it, but I, I do think they'll find a way to win this one, especially, like you said, with Tillman back in the lineup. They're a totally different team. Real quick, Blues just announced Carl Gunnarsson done for the year with oh. a not right knee injury. Oh. Um, kind of expected that, but uh, again, you're, you're done for the season, which is another injury on top of this. Yeah. Um, Nico Mikola, it's your time, big guy. Yep. There is nobody pushing you anymore. Nope. You you will be in the lineup each and every night moving forward, and Bortuzzo is going to be in the lineup each and every night moving forward until Colton Pareko's return. He's big for him, too, and Vince Dunn, as much as we've criticized him, guess what, big man? They called you a top four fo- a defenseman. Now is your opportunity. So what is... I don't know if you know this. I apologize for putting you on the spot, but in terms of his money, Carl Gunnarsson's... Yeah. Does that now... Leave? I would imagine that's going to go to long-term injury list kind of like so what Alexander Steen against the cap correct correct it's it's exactly what Alexander Steen was you're going to place him on LTIR now I got to see how much money he 1.75 so, so that's a, that's a good start now I think you need two more million to be able to bring back Vladimir Tarasenko so it's yes it's a start for them and we'll see where they end up going from here but that's that's, that's a good tough. start to be able to uh, money wise obviously yeah. you, you hate seeing the injury but right. the, in terms of the money that helps them a yeah. little bit with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We started our top 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season yesterday. Number 20 was just. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And now the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40 man roster, but we only care about 20. It's BK and Ferrario. Number 19, Edmundo Sosa. This offseason, and they're seeing more of that. Power, this to right, and this is gone. Edmundo Sosa right on cue with a home run to the opposite way. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Number 20 was Justin Williams. Number 19 is Edmundo Sosa. Edmundo Sosa might be a little bit of a surprise to some Cardinals fans being this high on the list. He's a guy that hasn't seen a ton of playing time in the majors. Uh, There are some questions as to what his role is going to be this year. The reason why I think he is significant, Alex, is because if you look at the Cardinals backups right now, you look at the roster spots that are still up for grabs. 
Sosa would have been a guy that I thought had a spot up for grabs. I thought they might be looking to upgrade from him, go out and get a guy their equivalent this offseason of Brad Miller. They decided not to do that. They're placing a lot of trust in Sosa being able to step up and provide that insurance if anybody were to get hurt on that infield. He's the guy that you would expect to step up after them. What are your expectations for him going into this 2021 season? You know, with Edmundo Sosa, it's a little bit higher than what Justin Williams was yesterday. And look, a peek behind the curtain, the three of us put different lists together. Uh I had Sosa ranked 16th on my list. I think he is going to be crucial for this offense in terms of bench players. I think he's the number one guy off of the bench over a Matt Carpenter, mostly because you got to have somebody who can spell a Paul DeYoung. Now, Paul DeYoung is still going to play 130, 140 games. They're going to get him in as many as possible. But that second half of the season, things dip for Paul DeYoung. And you need him all season to be fresh. And you don't have a Brad Miller. You don't have a Colton Wong, a Tommy Edmond. You don't have these guys to just say, ah, well, you know what? Day off for you, buddy. Go play DH or take this one off. We'll get you later in the game. That's going to be Edmundo Sosa. And this is a guy who is kind of in the outfield syndrome by the Cardinals, meaning he's been he's been on the depth chart. He's been down there, but you've never really given the opportunity to find out. He's not going to be an everyday player. I don't expect this guy to be a 20 goal, 20 home run. I almost said 20 goal score hockey on the mind. Sorry, guys. 20 home run hitter. But I do expect this guy to be a threat off of the bench. And if he is not, that puts the Cardinals in a really intriguing situation because you got to get some be- uh, pinch hitters on this team. The thing that intrigues me with Sosa, and the reason he made my list, he made my list at 20, was because of the fact that I think they're going to have to get someone that they're confident in to back up Paul DeYoung. DeYoung, 157 games in 2019. That means he only had five off. And of 157, 156 of those were starts. And then you mentioned in the second half, he falls off. I think it's because of all the games. Looking at his numbers, his average drops 33 points in the second half. On on base 40 slugging 12 is OPS 52 point drop off I look at him as the guy that's going to give DeYoung time off and help DeYoung play better as a whole and then with Sosa I look at him and I say okay what what is he going to do reading the scouting report back from 2018 on him power was a concern with him his power jumped up in 2019 17 home runs 291 average I think he's a guy that could provide pop off the bench and then like I said if he and reading the scouting report too best defensive shortstop in the system that had a bat right behind Perez Delvin Perez who's with the club in spring training I think he's good defensively his range factor is close to what Paul DeYoung's was in 2019 so I think that's going to be fine I just think it's very important that he's a guy that they can trust to put at shortstop and give DeYoung days off I did not have him on my top 20 list and the reason why is because I'm very curious to find out if what you're saying is true Tanner I think what might happen and a lot of this is dependent upon Matt Carpenter's bat and how he performs this year what could happen is they slide Tommy Edmond over to shortstop they put Matt Carpenter at second base and now your backup infielder on those days continues to be Edmundo Sosa so instead of being the second guy off of the bench on those days he ends up being the first guy off of the bench while Paul DeYoung's getting the day off it's possible though that he forces the issue Because as you said, in 2019, he had a really good season, Edmundo Sosa did. A 290 hitter down in AAA. He had a 466 slugging percentage, 18 doubles, 17 homers in 118 games. That's a guy that if he hits like that in the big leagues, 
Well, now he suddenly overtakes Matt Carpenter for that super utility role on the infield. He can play second. He can play third. He's really good defensively, so you could put him at short, and you don't have to move Tommy Edmond from his everyday position of playing at second. That's when I think he becomes really important for this team. But it's up to Sosa to force that issue. He can't be sitting in the backdrop, and when he gets his opportunities, he doesn't really make enough of them. He's got to be able to when. Mike Schilt looks at his lineup card every day. He needs to be asking in the back of his mind, how do I get Sosa on here? Not, eh, do I feel comfortable with Sosa being out there? And those are two very different feelings for a manager as they're filling out that card. See, I think it. I think you almost turn to Sosa more because he's better defensively. If DeYoung's not in the lineup, I feel more comfortable with Sosa at shortstop, Edmund at second, rather than putting Carpenter at second and uh, Edmund at short. And again, of course, Sosa does have to earn it with his bat. Looking at his projections, projected 243 hitter, 328 on base, 418 slug. Would That's you fine. take that? Yeah, I would does sign it, up for that right now. Does actually. that make him mm-hmm. the first one off the bench? Depends on Matt Carpenter. If it's the Matt Carpenter of the last two years, no. Or if it's the Matt Car- Carpenter of the last two years, rather, then Sosa would jump him as being that guy with those numbers that you just referenced. If Matt Carpenter has a little bit of a revitalization, then Matt Carpenter would beat those numbers. So it it really does come down to me, which one's performing better. Whoever has the hot bat gets to go into the lineup, similar to last year with Brad Miller versus Matt Carpenter. Yeah, and I'm curious too, because if he's more of a contact guy, then I think he becomes a lot more of a valuable asset. Now the power, you want that power, but I also think right now, speed defense are going to be impactful for an infield position. Carpenter doesn't really have either of those two pieces, whereas at Mundo Sosa cannot just play short. We're talking second. We're talking third, which also gives you the opportunity to move a Tommy Edmond around if you need sure. him to. So I just think he can be crucial for this team, regardless of that power. If he's a if he's a contact hitter, I think he becomes a bigger piece for Mike Schilt. The other important part of all of this and the reason why he's on our list, probably the number one reason he's out of options. Yeah. So the Cardinals need to find out this year if he's a part of the big league club moving forward as a super utility infielder or If he's just not going to be an everyday regular, he's not going to be a part of their big league club moving forward, and they probably end up trading him or DFAing him at some point this year. He's at the fork in the road. He's officially arrived at that place in his career. And the other player that I think could potentially benefit if Sosa does struggle is Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman was talked about a lot once again today on the Zoom calls with Mike Schilt. He's playing at second base right now. If Gorman has success down in the minors this year and Edmundo Sosa struggles and Matt Carpenter doesn't have a revitalization, I wouldn't be totally stunned if by the end of this season, Nolan Gorman ends up having that role of a utility player yeah. coming off of the bench for the Cardinals, and, and I think especially a lot of, as rosters expand. And I think a lot of that comes down to of if Carpenter and Sosa aren't performing, that's where you really get a, a Nolan Gorman. And look, if he takes that opportunity and runs with it, I mean, it benefits the Cardinals so much. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Bruce Boshi is a three-time World Series champion. He's the former Giants and Padres manager. I'm not sure there's anybody in baseball that didn't manage the Rockies over the last few years that's seen more of Nolan Arenado <laughs> than Bruce Boshi. We'll talk to him about Nolan Arenado and some of those battles that he had going up against the Cardinals in the mid-2010s. Bruce Boshi joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With 
Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 1218. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Very happy to be joined by three-time World Series champion, former Giants and the Padres manager. He is Bruce Bochy joining us via the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Bruce, thanks so much for the time today. How are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm still in San Diego, uh, hunkered down uh uh, heading to spring training here pretty soon uh, in Scottsdale. But uh, meanwhile, uh, it's kind of nice. Uh, you know, I can live stream uh, the workouts here on my iPad, so I'm getting a chance to, uh, you know, to you know, learn about our uh, new players and uh, young players that uh, we have in camp. Bruce, have you been able to talk to any of the guys thus far? What's it like this year in spring training? Thank God we're able to do it now, and hopefully everything's done safely. But uh, what's the difference between a, a typical spring training and how things are kind of trying to be done this this time around? Well, you know what? It's probably similar uh, to uh, last year a little bit, uh, you know, with the uh, you know, restrictions and protocols uh, that they have to deal with. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, they're, they're full force right now going through, uh, the normal workouts. Uh, just don't have the fans there. And, uh, um, I know they're going to have to probably deal with a few cases of uh, COVID here and there. And that's what they're trying to, uh, all the teams, you know, they're trying to keep under control so they, they don't have to cancel games, but, uh, you know, that's, a, you know, the biggest difference from a normal spring is, uh, you, you know, you're getting tested all the time, and uh, you still have to be careful here because of this virus. Uh, but uh, as far as the rest of workouts, uh, they're, they're going normal as usual. As a manager with that, Bruce, how do you navigate through a season like that? Because, uh, you know, you obviously have to make sure that these players are, are mentally prepared, not just for a season, but also with all the kind of anomalies that come with the season. Right. I, I think it's something you have to talk about. I think probably a lot of managers have talked about, uh, uh, you know, the situation uh, going back to last year and uh, probably touched on it this year. You can't let it be a distraction uh, because everybody uh, is having to deal with it. And, uh, you know, it's just part of the deal now. And uh, just don't make this uh, uh, any excuse, uh, you know, for, for what happens on the field. And uh, we got to keep a focus on what we're trying to do here. And that's, play great baseball and uh, hopefully get to the postseason. And, you know, I think that's going to be handled and uh, hopefully you don't have to touch on it again, but because uh, uh, I, I can tell you that the players, I, I know they're hungry to get the fans back and, and, and get things back to normal, but uh, I thought baseball did a great job last year. I, I really do to, to get to 60 games in and, uh, you know, I had concerns this year, you know, with the start and especially, uh, uh, there in Scottsdale because they were really having uh, uh, some uh, serious uh, issues with the COVID there. But uh, so far, it's been going pretty good, and uh, I think they have a plan. Uh, you know, when teams uh, uh, do have to maybe call a game or, you know, cut innings back, things like that. So I, I think baseball is doing a great job of, of getting us in and keeping things as normal as they can. Three. Three-time World Series champion Bruce Bochy joining us here on 101 ESPN. Bruce, I did want to ask you about the pitching side of things because, I mean, you look at the guys that threw the most innings last year. I think it was Lance Lynn that led all of baseball with like 81 innings in 2020. 
as a manager, how do you approach that with your pitchers going into this season after it was obviously a shortened year? Can you ramp these guys back up to 180, 200 innings, or do you have to be careful with those guys? Well, I think you have to look at uh, each pitcher uh, individually. Uh, um, you know, certain guys, I, I, I don't think you uh, need to hold them back. Uh, Lynn, for example, uh, um, but I think some of these guys uh, uh, will be fine. Uh, I, you might get uh, uh, some clubs that are, you know have younger arms or or pitchers that have had to deal with injuries, and you're going to have to you know really watch them uh, closely and just monitor their workload. And, and that's why it's going to be so important to have depth. But when you're playing 100, 162 games, somebody's got to heat up innings. Now, if you if you're gonna be careful with the starters, then your your pen they they're not gonna be able to handle that load either. So uh, you better have depth on both sides, and uh, you know eight, nine, ten starters uh, uh, ready to go. I mean, some of them will be in the minor leagues uh, in case you think you need to back off somebody or uh, because of injury. And same with the bullpen. Uh, so <clears throat> that's gonna be the challenge for. Uh, uh, these teams and uh, it's going to uh, it's going to be up to uh, each club to be smart about uh, each uh, pitcher individually. But I think some of these veterans. I, now I'll just mention one guy, Cueto. Cueto came off of Tommy John, and uh, I know we were careful with him uh, last year and uh, really watched his uh, workload. But I can tell you, he's a guy that's going to want to go, and uh, I I uh, think he could give you some innings. Uh, and, and, and not be so concerned about it. But, uh, and, you know, if a guy has a, a long game, uh, you know, throws 100 pitches or goes you know, seven or eight innings, uh, and next time you're going to watch him a little bit. So it, it's going to be a start-to-start thing, or uh, as far as the bullpen, uh, you know, those are the guys I would worry about probably even more. I think that it's tougher uh, for a reliever. I mean, you're getting them up, and you may not get in the game, or if they get in the game a couple times uh, – you know, that's that's what's going to be tough for these guys for 162 games when uh, uh, they didn't have to do it last year. Bruce, I want to talk about a player that uh, everybody in St. Louis and, frankly, a lot of people in Major League Baseball are talking about, and that's Nolan Arenado. This is a guy who I know you're very familiar with, have had plenty of battles with in the NL West. Uh, what have you seen in your career of watching this Nolan Arenado, and how much does he really change a ball club? Oh, my goodness, you guys have gotten just a, a tremendous, uh, exciting uh, uh, ball player. I mean, just I, I enjoyed watching him. I, I didn't enjoy watching him beat me uh, like he did many <laughs> times, trust me. But uh, this guy, is, he's just a ball player. He, he was just born to play the game. And, uh, and you know, I, from from the other dugout, I appreciated, uh, you know, his uh, gift at third base. Uh, he just He's just such a great defender and uh um, acrobatic. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he'll make plays that, that will stun you. And, uh, you know, he reminds me of a guy I had, Ken Caminetti, years ago, but uh, uh, but even with more range and, uh, and more agility. Uh, and then, of course, you know, what he's going to bring to the plate. Every time he's up there, you think he's going to do damage. I mean, you're talking about one of the best players in the game. And uh, uh, he's an impact guy. He's, he, he's going to impact your club. And, uh, both uh, you know on on the field and uh, at the plate, so um, you got a good one here. Uh, trust me, he, he's one of those guys. You know, you, they talk about with Bonds. You know, it just seems like they come up every inning. You're always wondering, oh geez, when when's Arenado coming up? And uh, 
he's uh, he's that impactful. Do you have a game plan, Bruce, as a manager going up against a guy like that? Like it, when you go into a series against the Rockies uh, when he was there and you were in San Francisco, what what's the game plan against a guy like Nolan Arenado? Is there one? Well, I think you have to have a game plan. I mean, there's times where you're going to have to pitch to him. And uh, so, you know, you get your plan and hopefully you execute. Uh, but if there's times when uh, you don't have to pitch to him, then you don't want this guy beating you. That's how good he is. And uh, and so you talk about that. But, uh, you know, I still, especially when you're, you know, playing in Colorado, you, you didn't want to put a lot of guys on base. And with that lineup, they uh, could throw at you, you know, uh, how deep they were, and you know, of course, with Story there, uh, I mean, they had uh, two of the best uh, hitters on the left side of the infield that, that anybody had in baseball. But uh, you know, he's you just got to hopefully make your pitches, and uh, but when he's hot, he he just doesn't uh, miss that pitch. So uh, we we've said many times, this is the guy we don't want beating us. Uh, the one thing about Nolan. Uh, you, you you love what a great player he is, but he, if you happen to walk him, he's not going to beat you with a stolen base. Although he'll he'll ambush you once in a while if you forget about him. <laughs> so Bruce, from a manager's perspective, then because the Cardinals are in a great position with not only Nolan Arenado but with the other guy Paul Goldschmidt, and you've been in this situation before with some some huge bats in the middle of your order with a Buster Posey, a Pablo Sandoval. What does that do from a manager's perspective with your batting order, and how does that protect some of your other other hitters? Oh man, you're talking about you know it's you hear the term lengthen your lineup out, but that's what one guy does, and uh, one guy can just uh, you know make everybody better. Uh, you know, I I've been fortunate, uh, you know, like a Posey. You know, you you're really good hitters in your lineup or your best hitter, whether it could be a Goldschmidt or, or Aaron Otto, you know, everybody seems to raise their, you know, their level of uh, game, uh, uh, the offense, uh, it just makes them better. I think that gets contagious. And uh, then you have guys hit where you want them to hit, whether it's in a six, seven, eight hole. And uh, uh, it takes a little bit of pressure off them because, uh, you know, pitchers are focused on your big boys uh, uh, like they will be on Goldschmidt and uh, Aaron Otto. So, you know, I think it just uh, lightens the load on the rest of them, makes them better. But I think just watching them compete at the plate and everything, it makes uh, the other guys better. And I think Bonds did that uh, as good as he was in San Francisco. I had him as last year. But, uh, you know, just the focus and how he approached uh, hitting, I think that uh, was something the players got and made them uh, better hitters. I mean, you look at what Kent Bonds did for years. and uh, So, again, you guys uh, – I've uh, got a really, really good one. We're talking to Bruce Bochy for just another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Bruce, I mean, as Cardinals fans look back to those 2010s battles against the San Francisco Giants, I, I'm curious. We have very different memories of those battles than you do out in San Francisco. With some of those series, those battles that you had with St. Louis, is there, a, is there a particular game, a particular moment, a particular memory that immediately flashes to mind for you? Well, I, yeah, there is. Uh, I mean, I have to uh, uh, go to uh, game five in St. Louis in 12 when uh, um, uh, we're down three to one uh, to the Cardinals and uh, Barry Zito uh, was starting against you guys. And, 
Uh, he just threw an unbelievable game. He had a base loaded the first inning or second inning, and uh, he got out of that, and uh, he went on to go, I think, seven, seven-plus innings, uh, laid down a perfect bunt, a drag bunt, something we hadn't seen all year. And, uh, and uh, that was, uh, I thought, the turning point in uh, that series uh, because it made it 3-2. We went uh, went back home to San Francisco and, uh, and and won the next two games. Uh, so that that's a game I'll never forget. Uh, you know, I I still keep in touch with Barry Zito, but uh, I believe me, I think the many times for the effort he gave us on that start and that. So to come back from a three-one deficit and of course the big hit. Uh, there's two of them that I'll never forget. Uh, you know, when Morris hit the home run in the eighth inning, uh, we were down a run there and. In 14, in uh, 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 games, uh, what, what was it, six there, where uh, he tied the game, and then Ishikawa uh, ended up hitting a home run to uh, put us in the World Series. So uh, those are two two huge moments uh, that uh, I'll never forget uh, going against the Cardinals in that one. I was hoping you wouldn't say Ishikawa, Bruce, but I, I, I can't blame you for saying it because every Cardinals fan remembers that home run uh, from game five. One more, uh, Bruce, from, from me. I, I'm curious, since we're talking about Cardinals and your history against them, what are your thoughts on the former Cardinals manager, Tony La Russa, back in the game as the uh, manager for the White Sox now? Yeah, good. I mean, really good for Tony. Yeah, uh, you know, we've talked uh, quite a few times and, uh, um, you know, over the last uh, year or so. And, uh, you know, he still has energy. He's, he's, I mean, he's been very involved in baseball. And, and so, you know, this is kind of a neat deal, I think. Uh, going back to where he started, uh, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's got the drive. And, uh, well, we, I mean, we all know he's got the knowledge. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy for Tony, uh, you know, for him to, to you know, take this challenge and, uh, and get back on the field. And I'll be watching them. Uh, uh, trust me, uh, because you never know. Like I've stepped back, I've hit the pause, but you, you just don't know. And, uh, but, uh, he's, uh, stepping in a really good, uh, or with a really good club and, uh, they have a chance to win there. And, uh, and, and they, you know, it's hard to have a better manager than when, than that Tony La Russa. So they're going to be in good hands there. So no, I was happy for him. And, uh, uh, and it's good to see him this excited and uh, and to have this long of a pause. I mean, it's just, it's a, a unique situation. Uh, but I, I think if anybody can handle this and do it well, it's going to be Tony. Bruce, final question for me. We'll get you out of here on this one. A couple of guys that you've certainly had your battles against, Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina. It, it's very possible this could be their last time around. Can you believe that these guys are still doing it at such a high level? I mean, this is about 15 years after their debuts. Can you believe they're still doing this? You know, I, I think you're making a great point here. I can't believe it. I really, I'm in the game. I've been in the game a long time, but you know how, not just their longevity, but uh, you know how well they've done it for so long. And uh, I know it was a couple of years ago, Adam was talking about retiring. Now that's the last thing he wants to do. And he, He's, he's not just competing, but he's competing uh, very well, doing the ball um, uh, uh, to the spots that he needs to. And uh, he, you know, I, I, and that I, I admire guys who may not, maybe not quite have the same stuff, but they have the sa- uh, savvy and, uh, and the desire to get hitters out. And he, he still does that very well. And then you, you look at Yaddy; he is just remarkable to me. Uh, uh, you know, being a catcher and uh, 
And as much as he catches and uh, as well as he's held up, uh, it truly is incredible. It's 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 one of the I think the the, the great feats in baseball when we look at his uh, longevity and how well he's done this. And uh, and for the Cardinals to get him back, I, I think that's huge. And uh, uh, because of his uh, relationship with the pitchers, and so it is pretty cool to see. Uh, uh, these two guys still playing uh, uh, great baseball at their age. Well, Bruce, we sincerely appreciate the time. All the best to you and the family. Best of luck down at spring training, and uh, we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Hey, guys, thanks for uh, talking with me. Enjoyed being on, and uh, hopefully I'll see you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks, Same to you. That's Bruce Bochy, three-time World Series champion, former Giants and Padres manager. Certainly uh, wish that he was on the losing end of a few more of those series against the Cardinals, but a heck of a manager, a heck of a man. I appreciate him spending some time with us here today. Speaking of heck of a guy, Jack Flaherty spoke with the media a little bit ago, and you're going to want to hear what he had to say. He was pretty open and honest about the arbitration hearings, his contract situation with the Cardinals. We'll let you hear what Jack Flaherty had to say earlier today, coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Thanks to Bruce Bochy for spending a little bit of time with us today. We were able to talk with him about pitching, how he handles uh, young pitchers and older pitchers in particular. Also, Nolan Arenado compared his impact in the lineup. I'm just going to say it to Barry Bonds twice. I mean, not only once did he bring up the name Barry Bonds, but twice Twice. he brought up the name Barry Bonds. So if you missed any of that, highly recommend checking that out on the podcast page. It is all presented by I Promise. We go from one stud with Nolan Arenado to another and Jack Flaherty, who's going to need to lead this staff going into this season. He spoke with the media earlier today and was pretty open and honest about his contract situation, what the future holds for him here in St. Louis, what the arbitration was like for him. And let's start with this one on whether or not it's inevitable that he eventually ends up leaving St. Louis. He goes to free agency. Here's what Jack Flaherty had to say about that. I don't think anything's inevitable. That's that's saying that things are already determined. And if you think I've looked two years forward, then I don't think, like you know me, we stay in the present. We stay in the present moment of of what's going on right now. Um, that's something that's two years away. So for me to say that, to say yes, it's inevitable means that if, if I've even looked that far ahead. So no, not not at all. We, we stay right here. We stay in this moment and. Um, you know, again, free agency, I can't control what happens at that point. Control right here. I can control this conversation. I don't know what the hell's going to happen right after this or what's going next, but um, that's all we can work on. Basically, I mean, it's what you'd expect him to say, but there's some truth to it, right? Like if you're in Jack Flaherty's spot, why would I look three years down the road when in the here and now I have to pitch my ass off this year because if I don't, I'm going back to another arbitration hearing next year. The Cardinals are going to use the same argument against me once again, and I might not be able to make my peak earnings potential because I didn't pitch well this year. His contract over the next couple of seasons is entirely dependent upon how he pitches over the next two years. That's how his contract will be negotiated between him and the Cardinals and specifically through arbitration. So he's right in what he says there. There's really no reason to look forward to it. I would also add this. If he is kind of like living in the moment, as he says, 
Well, then it, it seems unlikely to me that he's probably going to be looking five, six, seven years down the road, which would have to be the case if you're trying to get a long-term extension done. So is it, it is a little bit of a two-sided coin. Yeah, there. we all know the saying and how it goes. You know what happens when you assume things, and that's what's happening, and Jack Flaherty's making it very clear. You can't sit here, and as much as we will sit here and say, oh, yeah, he's not coming back, but we assume that because the Cardinals aren't going to pay him. We don't assume that, that Jack wants out, that Jack wants to go to L.A., Jack was is here right now. He is a here-in-the-moment player. So to think that it is inevitable that he's going to the Dodgers when it comes to free agency, frankly, it's just not true. If the Cardinals are willing to pay Jack Flaherty the money that he feels he deserves and what he performs, he'll stay in St. Louis. Sure. You'd stay with the team that drafted you. He knows the history of the Cardinals, and he has seen it firsthand. And he's a history guy. Like He, he had a close relationship with Bob Gibson. He... He loves those conversations that he's able to have with Cardinals Hall of Famers at spring training. His, Obviously not this year, but in most seasons. And his idol is Kobe Bryant, guys. And Kobe spent his entire career in one organization. So I'm not saying that that's how he's going to mimic his career because money is what's going to determine Jack Jack's future. But again, I've talked with people that talk or are close with Jack Flaherty. And they said he has no intentions of leaving free agency Right now, he's only worried about the next arbitration process because he's got to make the money. And that starts now. Like that's, that's the thing that people have to keep in mind is his next year of arbitration starts right now yep. with his preparation for this upcoming season. And we know this about Jack Flaherty. That dude's going to work to be able to make sure that he is the best pitcher possible going into 2021. I will also add the, the first cut that he talked about arbitration and if he has any hard feelings about the, with the Cardinals. It's like three minutes, so we don't have time to play that right now. But he did basically say, like, this changes nothing with his relationship with the Cardinals. He's he's not mad at the Cardinals. It's the system that he's upset about. He doesn't like the way that the system pits a team against the player and basically makes the team argue against the betterment of the player getting paid what he is worth. So wanted to pass that along as well. Jack Flaherty was also asked about something we talked about with uh, Bruce Boshi which is tempering expectations because he had such a small workload last year. Here's what Flaherty had to say about his workload and how comfortable he is with where he's at. Every year, every offseason, you know, we prepare to throw, you know, 200 plus innings and get out there and make every single start and make every single start every five days. And so that's what that's what the prep has been. That's what the prep work has been. That's what the prep work day in, day out has been for. Um, it's not going to be to, to miss starts or have shortened starts. So. That's all. That's all we're looking for. So we'll kind of. I guess that's going to be gauged as the year goes on. But um, in terms of everything else, you know, the prep has been you know, to approach it like a normal season. I think it's pretty clear. Wayno, KK, those guys are going to throw as much as they can this year. Like there, there is no babying those two guys. The training wheels are off. Wayno and KK both in the last year of their deals. They're both getting up there in age. Like there's no reason to take it easy on those two guys in particular. And I don't think Wayno would want you to take it easy on him. The questions come in after that. Michael is coming back from injury. If he's okay, well, then you you push it a little bit, but you have to be careful with that. And then it's Carlos, who's in the last year of his deal. Maybe you push it a little bit with him. What do you do with Flaherty? What do you do this year with him? You've got three years remaining, including this upcoming season, and he's under contract with the Cardinals. Do you try to get him to 180, 185? Is that around the number of innings that you'd like to see from him this year? How how do you do this with Jack Flaherty after he threw all of 40 innings in 2020? Yeah, this is hard because, one, I've never been in this situation, but two, I mean... 
putting myself in somebody's shoes on different aspects of this one. If I'm the Cardinals, I don't know if I'm going to try and go above that 180 because I don't need to lose a year of Jack Flaherty to Tommy John, especially when it comes to not knowing what the future looks like with free agency. But if I'm Jack Flaherty, I don't want any limitations. Yes, I only pitched 40 innings last season, and there was a lot of limitations, but I'm taking care of myself the proper way. And I know sometimes that doesn't matter, but Jack Flaherty's having a normal spring training. We hope that it stays normal with spring training. He's going to go into a normal full season. He knows how to carry himself. He knows how to to prepare. So if I'm Jack Flaherty, no, I, I want to go above 185 because I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it the proper way rather than just going out there and flawlessly or just flailing around and throwing. I'm going to take care of myself. So it, it's tough right now. What I, what, I, what I wonder if the Cardinals will do is maybe they'll put an innings limit on him in the first half of the season and then see how he feels, and then you can build up from there. To me, that's what would make sense is be cautious early in the year, especially the first half up until about the All-Star break. And then once you get to that point, then you can start to make the run. Okay, you know what? You've looked good. You feel fine. Then, okay, let's. there are no more limits. Wheels are off. Training wheels are off. Let's go. To me, that makes the most sense for what you should do for Jack Flaherty because I, I don't want to put an innings limit on him for a full 162 if he's going to make 30 to 34 starts because we saw how that worked with Strasburg when he was a rook. I think he was a rookie when Washington put him on an innings limit. Uh, Sorry. I get it. I get it. It's a different circumstance too. You know, Strasburg wasn't coming off a 60 game season only through 40 innings, but he's that kind of arm Flaherty is. He's got the arm to be an ace for you and your rotation for years to come. And I understand maybe it's only two more years, but I still want to be careful because like you said, Alex, I don't want to lose a year of him due to Tommy John. So one thing that we could end up seeing is um, I, I'll be interested to see how they work through the rotation early in the season. So here, here's one thing that I'm referencing here. So like they play April 1st at Cincinnati. Then they play again on the third and the fourth, fifth and sixth. They've got one off day there. That's five. That's their first five games, but they have an off day in between. Typically, you would see that first starter go on opening day and then again in that fifth game because you have that day off. So you wouldn't need that fifth starter yet. This year, do they do it differently? Do you give him five days of rest and then he comes back on that sixth day? So you're using that full five-man rotation. That's something that I think in a typical season, you wouldn't do. You would see more of Jack Flaherty to get him that extra turn in the rotation. This year, I bet you'd see that fifth starter in that fifth game. Does that make sense? So that that's that's one way that they it doesn't matter much early on. But over the course of the season, if you continue do, doing that over time, instead of getting 33 starts, maybe you're closer to like 29 starts. And so that is, you know, 25, 30 innings over the course of the years. And that does end up making a, a pretty significant difference. It wouldn't surprise me, too, if the Cardinals do opt to use a six man rotation. If John Gantz and Carlos Martinez both pitch well, because what that does is that lengthens the amount of days off for a guy like Jack Flaherty. You don't have limitations, but it's one less game that he has to be concerned about throughout the season. And we'll get into that more coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Guys, do you know how hard it is to be cut by a team as a first round pick a year into your time with that team? Do you know how hard. difficult that is? Depends on who it is. 
So a first round pick for the Tennessee Titans, his name is Isaiah Wilson. He was selected in the first round literally this time last year. He's already done with the Titans. He has overstayed his welcome. They have made a determination and he tweeted last night. I'm done with football as a Titan. No further comments. Now, this gentleman's had a bit of a tumultuous year. He had a DUI arrest. He had a uh, suspension for a violation of team rules. He had two stints on the COVID-19 list. And then eventually he had a season-ending non-football illness. And he ended up having to work on, quote-unquote, personal issues throughout the rest of the year. So It's a rough year. (laughs) It was a rough season for Isaiah Wilson with the Titans. And again, this was a first-round pick last year. It's really hard to be so awful both on the field and off of the fields to be cut a year after the team invests in you as a first round pick. I think we probably should have seen this coming though. Uh Uh-oh. Have you guys seen what Buried the lead. Have you guys seen what his uh, Twitter account is? His Twitter handle, if you will. It is at underscore lay, L-A-Y, Zay, Z-A-Y. This dude's Twitter account is literally at lazy. Okay, but why is it lazy? <laughs> I have no idea. Like, is I don't that a need nickname? any further explanation. I don't know. I mean, his his well, name's Isaiah, so like Zay, would that one make sense? What's lay? Is lay like he lays people out when he plays defense? He's a defenseman, right? Uh, he's an offensive lineman. Okay, so he lays defensemen out. Maybe that's where he's going with it. Why do you assume he's lazy? Because he got cut as a first-round pick a year after he was selected. He's dealing with personal issues, right? That's what he's dealing with. Yeah, a DUI, a suspension for violating team rules, uh, going on the COVID-19 list twice because he was at parties. What you're saying is he's lazy when it comes to everything. Everything. This almost sounds like one of those where, you know, the guy ran on the field streaking because he had money on it. This almost feels like one of those where, hey, I got drafted in the first round. You want to see how quickly I can get cut over under one year? Yeah. What? Oh, like he placed a bet on that? Uh, yeah. I wonder if they put Vegas odds on that. Yeah, can how you fast gamble for- on people getting cut? <laughs> how fast does this first rounder get cut from the team? It's unbelievable. I, I can't remember the last time that you saw a first round pick gone this quickly. I mean, it. It is a huge investment for a team to select you in the first round. They have you under cost control for four years at a minimum, and it's like two, three million dollars. Now this dude lays a already gone, already gone from the Titans. Alex, what do you have for us today? Lay in the jump Zay. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, you want to see how fast somebody runs? You can find a bear in an outhouse, BK. So woman in Alaska, she was at her brother's girlfriend's place for a weekend and outhouse, no indoor plumbing. So they decided to go to the bathroom. She walked out to the bathroom and then she sits down, goes to the bathroom. Next thing you know, boom, Black Bear's head comes out of the toilet. Excuse me, what? Black Bear's head comes out of the toilet. Like getting ready to peek towards her face. Well, that or getting ready to take a yeah, bite yeah, out of yeah, crime yeah, yeah. or no, swipe into okay. some crime. She she literally, <laughs> according to the Associated Press News, she, she literally suffered a puncture wound from the bear on the rear end. Oh my god. Because she didn't check the outhouse hole before she sat down. Well, I don't I don't, I don't know about you to. guys. I, oh, come on. 
Don't tell me. Have either of you used an outhouse before? Yes. This is going to be a real surprise to you, but but my answer is no. This is going to be even more surprise to you. I have used one before because I'm Mr. Gas Station when it comes to having to go to the bathroom. This is this is a bit stunning. But I was my my aunt has an outhouse. She lives in Illinois, so at times we've had to use that. She lives in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. It's Illinois. It's Illinois. They have outhouses in Illinois. But like the first thing you do, heck, the first thing I do in my own house is you know sit down and make sure there's nothing in the toilet. No snakes. You always got to check. Always got to check for snakes. Now you got to check for black bears. What is? Oh, that's not a movie. No. The snake coming out of the toilet. Snakes on a snakes plane. Snakes on a plane. Oh, I haven't seen that one, but I have seen a movie before that had a We've snake got, come out of it. Got to get these mother bleeping snakes out of off these this mother bleeping Samuel plane. Jackson. I know that. Yeah. Haven't yeah. seen the movie, well, but now you got to get this mother bleeping black bear out of the mother bleeping <laughs> outhouse. I don't know if I would ever recover from that. Well, I don't think I could I, ever sit down. Depends on where the swipe was at. You might not recover from well, that. Touche. Also, I don't know that mentally. I would ever be able to get past the fact that I sat on a toilet and a black bear ate my anus. I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't, I don't ever recover from that. That, that is, that is too much. I think after something like this, I'm getting a permanent catheter installed and just figure, (laughs) I'll go about this my own way. That's a hell of a story to tell though. Like, I wonder how many do people would believe you. Well, if there's worse ways you to get injured. You don't believe me, I'll show them the puncture wound. This yeah, is but, a good point as well from the 636. How deep was, was this hole in the outhouse? Apparently it was Black Bear deep. Brought a whole new meeting to Black Bear My deep. dad, who of course owns his own pest control company, I worked with him. He's told me that he has been in houses before where he has seen a rat in the toilet. Moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, before you sit Check. down, flush. We'll always check. check for now. Courtesy flush before, courtesy flush during. That's how it works. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, have we underestimated the fact that John Gant could actually have a shot at this rotation? Well, he's good at baseball. Maybe. But it would require something different. We'll tell you what. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I would really like to have a chance at that starting rotation and kind of get out of that bullpen role. Uh, if that's where the team sees me, that's where the team sees me. You know, there's nothing I can do about that. But uh, I would uh, really, really like to get a crack at that rotation and, and make some starts again. Uh, made a lot of starts in 2018 here, quite a bit in 16 uh, with the Braves. Um, just looking forward to, to cracking back into that rotation and maybe pitching deeper into some games. As we all know, John Gant is very good at baseball. Very good. And he would like to be a part of the rotation as long as he continues to be really good at baseball. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I am curious, do you guys think we've underestimated the chances of John Gant being a part of the Cardinals rotation this year? Because I think now at this point, we're, we're all kind of on the same page. It's Flaherty, Wayno, Michaelis, KK, and Carlos Martinez. Those seem to be going into opening day. Your five starters. And then the main guy that we've talked about behind them is Alex Reyes. And we've also spent a lot of time, not only recently, but over the last couple of years, talking about Ponce de Leon as well. John Gant's name doesn't get brought up a whole lot when we talk about candidates to be in the starting rotation. Alex, do you think we should be talking more about it, though, at this point? Heck yeah. I mean, especially now that we've learned Alex Reyes isn't going to be a rotation pitcher. I mean, we've learned that they're going to take very 
very much care of his arm this season. Uh, Ponce de Leon is still in the running for this, but frankly, John Gant has been better in starting situations. The only reason for me that I haven't put John Gant's name into that is because he is too valuable in the bullpen. He has been too valuable in the bullpen because you haven't known what Carlos Martinez is going to be. If he's a bullpen, if he's a rotation guy, Alex Reyes has been unable to stay healthy for you. You really haven't had that long man out of the bullpen other than John Gant. John Gant goes and gets yourself out of a jam. He can pitch multiple innings for you. He can close if you need him to. He can do everything. He is the Swiss Army knife for that Cardinals bullpen. That's the only reason I haven't brought his name up, but he's not wrong. I mean, in 2018, he had a 3.47 ERA and what, 19 games started? That's a four or five starter for you. Heck, that could be a three starter for you for the way that we've been going about things. So his name should be on this list. I still think Carlos Martinez gets that first shot. But now, after hearing him talk and after hearing the Cardinals talk, I'd put John Gant's name ahead of Ponce de Leon. I don't know if I'd go ahead of Ponce yet. Why not? What has Ponce done to make you think he's more worthy of a rotation spot? I, I think Ponce is a more... Looking at Ponce, I just like his velocity and his stuff more than I like Gantt. To me, Gantt is not a strikeout pitcher, even though the numbers show you that his strikeout rate per nine is pretty high. I think Ponce's was high, and Ponce was getting more innings, more grouped together innings than what Gantt is. The bullpen numbers with the strikeout per nine can be kind of skewed, in my opinion, because you're throwing less innings than what a starter is. But I, I do think Gantt should get a legitimate look at being a starter his numbers as a starter I think you mentioned him Alex are really good and and his ground ball rate I mean it's incredible 62.9 percent ground ball percentage last Last year year. and that it's interesting because I don't know if that's an anomaly or not because it was a super small sample size he only pitched 15 innings last season and previously he was not a ground ball pitcher he was a fly ball pitcher he was above 50 percent or below 50 percent rather on ground ball percentage each of the two seasons prior to 2020 And then this year, boom, jumps all the way up to 63% is his ground ball rate. So I don't know if that was because of the small sample size, it threw some things off, or if that's real and he's actually changed something to get there. His ground ball percentage was usually, looking back at his numbers last night, was between 40 and 50. So this was maybe a little bit up there compared to normal seasons. But I think he is becoming a bit of a ground ball pitcher. So I think you could look at him as maybe a guy that could eat some innings, maybe... Mike Leak type is kind of maybe a bit of an over-exaggeration, but a guy that can get ground balls and be an innings eater. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing John Gant get another shot at the uh, rotation. And I think part of the reason he goes kind of falls off our radar is because he's been so good in the back end yeah. of that bullpen. Well, I mean, I mean don't he was like your setup. He was your eighth inning man there for a while in 2019. Don't you ever use John Gant's name in the same conversation as Mike Leak. John Gant is good at baseball. J- John Gant is better than Mike Leak was. And ever. I, I think there is... So one place that I will disagree with you a little bit, Tanner, is I actually would go on the other side of the argument on the strikeout rate. I think Ponce de Leon is underutilized as a reliever mm-hmm. and probably overutilized as a starter because of that yep. um, strikeout rate. I want that guy coming out of the pen, throwing peak velocity for one or two innings at a time. We saw last year the big problem for Ponce was trying to get through four or five innings. He struggled sometimes to be able to get through, especially that second, third time High through the order. Count, yeah. He would get he would get to like 80, 85 pitches by the third inning. And mm-hmm. it's like this isn't this isn't sustainable over especially 162 games. So I think I would actually rather see him in a one or two inning relief role. 
And I think John Gant, because he has a little bit lower of a strikeout rate, while still being fine from that regard, could probably make it deeper into games because he pitches a little bit more into contact. And if that ground ball rate that you're talking about is real, it's not going to be at 63%, but if it can be above 50 going into next year, well, you can take advantage of that with the infield that you now have with Goldie and DeYoung and Arenado. I think Edmund's going to be at least a plus defender at second base. This is a guy that if they get into a situation where they start using a six or seven man rotation, or if they were giving guys uh, time off, if somebody gets hurt, I think we should absolutely start considering John Gant as a real option for them in the rotation, especially as you said, Alex, now that we know that Alex Reyes is unlikely to be that guy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's the, it's the presence of John Gant as a starter for me. It's like the calm before the storm. Like he doesn't get phased and I'm not, I'm not going off of the Twitter trend right now because we all know he's good at baseball, but it's just his presence. Like he doesn't get phased when things go wrong or when things are going right. He's the same guy. And I look at a pitcher like I look at a goaltender, right? Like you got to have a guy who can mentally wipe away what just happened. And in the bullpen, he has done that in his tenure with the Cardinals. If he comes in and he blows a game up, he'll come right back out or he'll get that next batter in a situation where he'll shut things down. So I just think it's the utmost importance to have length in the bullpen. And for right now, John Gant to me is that guy that's that's leapfrogged over Ponce de Leon. The one thing that I would like to see him improve, and this is something that has been a consistent problem from him, for him dating all the way back to when he was with Atlanta. He's got to get his walk rate down. Mm-hmm. He's at around 11, 12% most years when it comes to his walk rate. That's too high. It's got to come down from there. And if he's able to do that while sustaining this ground ball rate, that is a guy that can absolutely be a successful back end of your rotation starter. I mentioned how if the Cardinals go with a six, seven man rotation, that's when John Gant could really fit into things. John Gant was actually talking about this uh, last week. I believe this was on Friday when he was asked about the Cardinals rotation and their plans for that rotation. So I've heard a little bit of talk about the whole teams adapting to six man or possibly even the seven man. Um, but I don't think we're going to really know what that looks like until, uh, you know, we're crossing over that bridge in the moment. Um for right now, I think we all just need to concentrate on doing our jobs. And I just don't think that the Cardinals are a team that's going to do it. I don't think they're going to go with a six or seven man rotation. And maybe maybe you can call it that. But I think what we're more likely to see is a spot start here or there. You remember this was this is dating back a while ago, but it was like four or five years ago. Tyler Lyons was the guy that like you'd randomly get to a Sunday day game and Tyler Lyons would be called up to AAA and he'd be a spot start for the day. Mm hmm. I think you could see some of that this year. And I think the guy that is most likely to do it is probably John Gant. I don't know that they're going to call that a sixth starter, though. I think it's just going to be kind of here and there. I bet you he ends the year with five, ten starts. But I don't know that it will necessarily be as planned as every sixth day you're going to be in there. I think you're a better team without a six or seven man rotation, frankly, because you have a bunch of veterans that are used to rhythm and are used to a season where it's every fifth day with Wainwright, with Michaelis, with KK, with Carlos, if he's in here or if it's John Gant. That's what they're used to. I think you're going to mess up the rhythm if you go six or seven guys. Plus, it strengthens your bullpen more. What did Bruce Bochy just tell us? If you're going to be cautious with your starters, you better damn be more cautious with your bullpen pitchers. If you have Ponce who can give you three or four innings, you know he can give you 60 to 70 pitches. The same with John Gant. The same with Alex Reyes. 
you're better in that sense than you would be if you're utilizing one of those guys and taking them out of the bullpen. And looking at a six-man rotation, I dove into the numbers because I know we talked about this a week or so ago on Danny Mac's show with BK. It doesn't. It doesn't really help. The ERA actually goes up for guys that have in that are in a six-man rotation, and you take away innings from your five best starters. So I, I kind of I agree with you guys. I don't think it's something the Cardinals will do. I think it will be just one of those kind of like Tyler Lyon situation. Oh, we need a spot start. Maybe Seymour's arms bothering him today. All right, Gant, go out there and give us three, four innings. Give us your best effort. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see what they decide to do here. I don't think they're going to go with a six- or seven-man rotation, but they definitely have the candidates to be able mm-hmm. to do it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's one thirteen. your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it, including bet it or forget it. Nolan Arenado at 35-1 to is the best Cardinals MVP bet. We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one. Better to forget it, guys. Nolan Arenado is the best bet from the Cardinals to win National League MVP this year. So the odds are officially out. Vegas has said it. Nolan Arenado is 35 to 1 to be the National League MVP this year. Paul Goldschmidt is at 75 to 1. Paul DeYoung and Dylan Carlson are next at 300 to 1. Better to forget it, Nolan Arenado is the best bet for the Cardinals to win MVP in the National League this year. Best bet in terms of winning? Yeah. I mean, that's the way anybody should be going. Now, if you want to... Value? Value. I think I'm going Paul Goldschmidt, 75-1, to because I think Nolan Arenado is going to provide Paul Goldschmidt a lot different uh, looks in the batter's box, and now you have somebody to kind of give that little extra energy. But if I'm going best bet... It's 35 to 1. I watched that swing yesterday that the Cardinals posted. He crushed a baseball. This guy's on fire. Yeah, I would say he's the best bet. I agree. I think he's the best bet. To me, the value bet, though, Dylan, or not Dylan Carlson, Paul DeYoung. I saw him both at 300 to 1. I'd say Paul DeYoung. I think if with. I'd say Matt Carpenter. Arnada. Well, wow. Come on. You don't believe that. Look at me. Do I look serious? (laughs) Yes. No, I don't. Um, Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I would I would think DeYoung would be the value one for me just because I think Arnado and Goldie will be on base for him. And if he can just be 2018 Paul DeYoung, I, I think that is going to be huge. And I think he could have an MV- have MVP-type numbers because those two are on in front of him. I'm going to bet it. I think Nolan Arenado is the best bet at 35 to 1. I think he's the only Cardinal with a real shot to win MVP this year. Goldie could have a really good season, but I think the thing we got to keep in mind here is that MVP is as much a narrative award as it is a production award, especially if it's close between two guys. And the narrative about Nolan Arenado coming to a new team, forcing his way out of Colorado, and having a successful first season here in St. Louis. That's something that could absolutely work on his side. So I'm going to go with Nolan Arenado as being the clear-cut best bet for MVP this yeah. year. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it. The LA Kings will make the playoffs this year out of the Western Division. I'll bet this one. Um, I think that fourth spot is going to come down to a battle between the Kings, the Coyotes, 
and the wild. And frankly, I'll put those last two playoff spots into a five team race when it comes to the Kings, the coyotes, the blues, the wild, um, missing another team. You think too, the right? wild are in there? Yeah, I think the wild are in there. the wild have been struck with COVID and it has impacted that team. But I think they'll, they have a good young nucleus right now. That's going to create some offense, but look, the Kings, in my opinion, are a better team than the LA Kings are hold on. The Kings are a better team than the Kings. The Kings are a better team than the coyotes. Okay. And I say that because the coyotes, the coyotes are good against the blues, but I think other teams can play the coyotes better because they have heavier defensemen in their own zone. That keeps those young players away from the front of the net. The Kings have big bodies that will go to the net and it's hard to push them away. They have speed kind of like what Jordan Kyra is bringing to this team. And they got a goaltender and a goaltender who can rob hockey games. So the Kings will be a playoff team this season, in my opinion. It's just as a matter of who they battle that last spot out for. I would bet it, too. I, I was really impressed with the Kings, the three games we've played them in. And Jonathan Quick, if he plays like he did, if he can stay so somewhat, if he can stay somewhat so like annoying. that, I don't think it's... I had flashbacks of 2013, and I hated it so much. I don't think it's realistic that he's going to do that every night going forward. But if he plays Done the last three games, it, yeah, the Kings are a playoff team if he does that. And their speed is just deadly. Like you mentioned, Alex, I was impressed last night. I will bet it. I think they are a playoff team. Mm -hmm. I think they are, too. And I'm getting nervous at this point. Um, Maybe I shouldn't be. But given the injuries that the Blues are dealing with right now, and now that we've seen more of the Kings and the Coyotes in particular, man, it's going to be tough to make the playoffs out of this division. We know that the Golden Knights and the Avalanche will get it. Those two teams, pencil them in right now. Those are the top two teams in the West I think the Blues absolutely could have been right up there with them if they were fully healthy. They're not. So Mm -hmm. here we are. Then the question is, who's going to get that third and fourth spot? Kings, Coyotes, Blues, to me, are the three favorites. We'll see with the Wild. I'm going to keep the Blues in there right now, and I'll have the Kings as my fourth team. But Man, that series against the Coyotes is looking more and more significant now that we're getting closer towards the middle of the season, and the Coyotes going to be competing for that spot with the Blues directly. So yeah. those head-to-head losses kind of hurt. Look, the last six to eight weeks of this season are going to be crucial for the Blues if they want to be a playoff team. I just put a tweet out a little bit ago, kind of the evaluation process with a lot of these injured guys. You're going to be reevaluating Robert Thomas probably that second week of March. Tirasenko the first week of March. Schwartz and Pareko kind of are unknown. And then Tyler Bozak and Barbashev is going to be the end of March, beginning mm-hmm. of April. So... It's going to be basically a sprint to the finish line for the Blues because they'll be getting those guys back that last week of March. They need to get to March 9th. That, yeah. That's that's the target date right now because as of today, so they play Wednesday, Saturday, and then it's basically every other day from there up until March 8th. Mm-hmm. And then between March 9th, it's a Tuesday, and March the 12th, a Friday, they've got those three days off. and. Hopefully they can settle things down at that point, take a little bit of a deep breath, take a step back. That'll be when you try and get some of those injured guys healthy enough to where you can rest everyone. Absolutely. So that's that's where you've really got to get to. And then the next game, that, that that's the end of the California run for the Blues as well, which is yeah, also why it's significant because the next two games are against Vegas. Yep. Head-to-head against the top team in your division right now. It's also when you should be expecting some of these guys to be reevaluated. Hopefully you're getting some of them there. Well, the they good- can play 500 hockey until then. That's a seven game stretch between now and then. 
you can play 500 hockey between now and then. That's that. I think that should be the goal. The good news is, too, you're on the road for that remainder of the trip. After Wednesday's game, you're on the road until you come back and play Vegas, mm-hmm. like you said. And Jeremy told us earlier today, this team is better on the road. They're 6-2 and two on the season on road games. I'm worried, though, because now you don't you don't have the matchups and without some of those guys. It's I'm not as tough. concerned with the matchups. I'm concerned more with the game being simple. That's been the biggest problem for the Blues, that they have not been able to keep games simple. They do on the road. And Bortuzzo talked about it yesterday. For some reason, there's this mix-up of when you're on the road, you're, you play simple blues hockey. When you're at home, you try and do too much. So hopefully they fix that on the road. I'm not concerned about the matchups either, just because last night they had the matchups and we saw what happened with the Blaze Shen and Hoffman line. They didn't play well. You had the matchups and could Yeah, make the problem match. is now is you're going out to, like, uh, I don't know, it, when you're playing against these teams and they get their top line, if you get another top line that is crushing the Blues and it seemingly happened all uh, the last two weeks, really, if you get another one of those and they match them up against your third line, which is really your weak spot right now because it doesn't have a true identity, right. and you've got your third pair defensemen, which are you're really diving deep now into your depth, that could be problematic, especially now that you're not able to really do a whole lot about right. it. Can I throw a better to forget it at you guys? Please. Okay, better to forget it. Carl Gunnarsson will forever be remembered in St. Louis. Boom, boom. As boom, boom from game five. 100%. Bet it. Absolutely. So JRR just put this transcript out from that game, which we will always remember in St. Louis. I didn't know it was as humorous as what actually took place in the locker room because it was a road game. We weren't there. We were in St. Louis. This is kind of how it went real quick. Reporter, Carl, the word is that after the third period before OT, you told the coach you needed another shot. Gunners and I was close in the third, hit the post, and had a little talk in the locker room between periods before OT, and yeah, I just told him I needed one more. The guys in the background in the locker room said, nope, give him a follow-up. Reporter, Carl, in the words of Sunquist, your conversation with Berube happened at the pisser. Could you just give us kind of and clarify because this goes into Stanley Cup lore and kind of paint the picture? And then the team in the background. Well, not all of it, please. Gunnarsson. Yep. Can't deny it. That's where it happened. It makes it more fun, I guess. Follow up, better to forget it. Carl Gunnarsson should have a statue inside Enterprise Center. Oh, that's talking to Craig Bruby at the okay. urinal. Well, in the bathroom. In the bathroom. Me... Yes. Boom. Bet it. Boom. Boom. Bet it. Bronze Carl Gunnarsson in the bathroom at Enterprise Center with a sign above it says, I need one more chance, coach. You lost me there. But you can go to the bathroom right next. Oh, my God. You can he'll, for, he'll forever be remembered. He'll forever be remembered with for that With a statue goal. at the urinal in the bathroom. No. If, yes. if, he is, if he is getting a statue, then we better get David Freeze's statue out at Bush Stadium. That's fine. You can put it in the bathroom, too. By the way, it was game game two, not game five. My mistake. But yeah, no, this is a bet it or forget it. Six, five, seven, and no, Texas. Tell BK he's wrong here. You bet you put a bronze Carl Gunnarsson in the bathroom. Okay, I will stick on this theme. Better to forget it. The reason why the Blues have struggled, why they have so many injuries right now, is because of those godforsaken reverse retro jerseys. Amen to that one. Bet it. <laughs> it's all. It, it all can be drawn back. The Blues... <laughs> Their issues. When did, when was the first time that they wore it those jerseys? It was the game against the Arizona Coyotes. I think it was February 6th. And I texted you guys last night because I said, was that the game that Robert Thomas was injured in? It wasn't. He was injured in February 8th game, which wasn't the right reverse after. retro, but it was right after. So Everything maybe it carried has over since that night. They did lose in that game, too, by the way, wearing yep. those reverse retros. So they're well, 0-2. Since that night, they are. Oh, here we go. Burn them. I don't even need to know the record. Three, four, and one. Okay, that's 500 hockey. 
Yeah, but we, three, we four, and one. It's five hundred hockey. It's, it's actually below five hundred. <laughs> no, it's five hundred. No, you take the point and you move it over. It's five hundred hockey. Okay, well it's below, but uh, it, we're betting it. This is all drawn back to the reverse retro jerseys. Those things are an abomination. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. <laughs> bet it or forget it, guys. At least ten pitchers will start a game for the Cardinals this year. At least ten pitchers will start a game okay, for the Cardinals. Well, hold on, let's go in this through season. these. Flaherty, obviously, you got KK, Miles, Michaelis, Adam Wainwright. I'll say Carlos Martinez. Yep. John Gant is going to start at some point. Ponce will maybe Ponce get some. will start at some point. I, I think Reyes, Reyes is going to get a spot start. Maybe Cabrera. Cabrera might get no, one. No, I don't see. I would say maybe. Oviedo might fill in yeah, for one. Yeah, maybe an Oviedo. Libertor, Thompson. I don't know if you're going to see one of those guys start. start. They'll be in a bullpen when you expand the rosters. I'm going to say forget it. I'll put it at nine. I'm, I'm going to take for- the under. Woodford. Oh, God. oh, man. Don't do that. I'm going to forget it for Woodford's now. one of their top prospects. Okay. Are we out on Jake Woodford all of a sudden? Uh, don't, uh, don't look at me. I didn't say that. Yeah, we're I out was, on Jake Woodford. I'm still willing to sit back and wait on Woodford. Uh, I will say forget it. I don't know if they get to 10. I'll say about 8 or 9 will be how many start. And we'll probably be way wrong. It'll be like 15. I'll bet it. I'll bet it because it's a weird year. I think if this was a normal season coming off of guys throwing 160-plus innings, Maybe you wouldn't be there, but I think because of coming off of a strange season, I bet you, you see more, more more pitchers start a game for the Cardinals than you would typically end up seeing at the end of the year. So I'll, I'll go above. I think you end up getting 11, 12 guys that'll be able to start a All game right. for the Cardinals. Put it down, season. T-Bone. We'll see who's right. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Fernando Tatis Jr., the perfect answer on his long-term deal, plus... I need I need some help from the audience here. Six five seven eight zero is for service text line. The Blues are in need of depth. Wrong answers only, please. Oh yes. Who could they give a call to be able to fill in as the depth players on this team? I've got one for you. Nail Yakupov needs to be on the line. <laughs> no! We'll get some of your options coming up next on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson just said there, I do need to pass along this news. This comes from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Earlier this morning, 7 o'clock this morning, uh, the L.A. Sheriff's Department responded to a single vehicle rollover traffic collision um, out near Tiger Woods' home in L.A., and the vehicle was traveling on what has apparently been said to be a pretty tough road. The vehicle sustained major damage when it crashed. The driver was Tiger Woods. He was taken out of that wreck with the jaws of life. He has been transported to a local hospital by ambulance for his injuries. We do not know anything more than that right now. That's the latest news on this story. Uh, Fingers crossed that everything is okay, but it was a single car wreck that Tiger Woods was in earlier this morning. And uh, if we hear anything more, we'll definitely pass along that news to all of you guys. There is no easy transition from that to what we are about to talk about. So here we go. (laughs) Wrong answers only, please. Um, The Blues need some depth right now. They They could really use some like third, fourth line wingers. Some guys that could come in and give them a little bit of a scoring punch because right now they are running out of players. 
And so we were talking about about this last night in our text thread, guys. And I brought up guys like Neil Yakupov. Let's see what Magnus Payarvi is doing. No. Vladimir Sabotka is Terrible. somebody that, God, we have talked about him for seemingly a decade. He's always going to be the answer to what plagues the Blues. Who else? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Who do the Blues need to give a call? Again, wrong answers only. Who would come in and immediately turn this thing around? That's the answer to what plagues the Blues right okay. now, which is basically health. T-Bone or T-Bone and BK, I've put together a power ranking. Our good friend Jamie Rivers always loves his power rankings. Dimitri Ashkin's number one right now. He is number one that helps this team. He's got 110 points in 115 games. How are you not bringing in a Dmitry Yashkin to help this team? You know what Nail Yakupov has done in the last two games or two years, BK? He's got 16 points. I, I take it. No. You wouldn't sign up for 16 no. points right now? No, I would sign up for 110 points in 115 games. Ooh. That's Dmitry Yashkin. He is number one on my list. And it should be simple enough. You just call him up over in the KHL and you say, hey, buddy, come on back over. We want you back. Is it that easy? Can we just do that? Well, you got a 14-day quarantine, and I'm sure there's contract stuff. To, and then look. Uh, I Russia's, hear the KHL is yeah. really understanding. They'll Ru- just let him Russia, come right over. Right? Russia's never easy to deal with, apparently. So I mean, I don't Sabolka know if that's came over easy. with no problems. Yeah. It was very yeah. quick, easy Seven to years the point. later. <laughs> they never had any issues and getting he, him over and here, he right? he came back a completely different player. It's fine. Everything's no. fine. Okay, so we got some more, too. They're coming in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I think the one that I like the most is Yuri Laterra. The <laughs> idea of Yuri Laterra rejoining this team. Obviously, he was the the kingpin of that trade up to Philadelphia. <laughs> Big kingpin. He was really the one that made that thing work. Braden Shin, now a significant piece to what the Blues are building here. Yuri Laterra. He was the godfather of hockey. I, I feel like he would he would fit in right yeah. away. You know, he he'd uh-huh. really he'd really give this team a nice little blow. A lot of yeah. God bless you, BK. Yori Laterra God from bless the six one eight. I think he could be the blue savior this year. He could be he could be the blue scarface right now. You could look at him. You know, another person who could be a savior for the blues, and look, there was a, there was a hardcore commitment. Patrick Berglund. Yeah, right? We go out there and you bring him back from Sweden, 27 points in 38 games. This is a top six centerman that you could put into the player position that you need right now. Fills the void of a Robert Thomas. You know who they really need? We got to bring back Troy Brower, boys. It's time. Oh, the man crush. The, the break glass in case of emergency. This is the time. This is why you keep him on the phone. You know, we talked to him. What was it? A few weeks ago now, right before the start of the season. He said he's staying in shape. He's waiting for that phone to ring. He's hoping that he's able to get a call this year. If ever there was a time, Troy Brower, you know, has five games in him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has five solid and games. at least one big time goal in him. A hundred percent. And you're going up against some heavy teams right now. I feel like he's the obvious answer. In fact, he's not even a part of this game because this is supposed to be wrong answers yeah, this only. this is wrong answers only. And Troy Brower is absolutely the right if answer. If we're going real wrong answers only, we've had so many texts at the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Yarmir Yager. I mean, he is in prime athletic shape right now. 48 years old. What about Jerome McGinley? Jerome, What's he up to? Well, I, I don't even know the last time Jerome McGinley has played a hockey game. We're going with old guys. How about Brad Boys? Brad Boys, the former 40-goal scorer for the St. Louis Blues. Only 38. And look, boys, we don't have a lot of... What's Hully up to? Well, could he give him a, could he give I, him a I know he few could, games? I know he could do that. Um, they need bodies for right Urko? now. No, Bernie, Bernie, 
He's Bernie, on the broadcast. Bernie, I see him out there Bernie, every night. Bernie said the last time that he's going to suit up was at that Winter Classic where he did score a goal, if you don't remember see? that correctly. The guy that you do need right now, what's the biggest Blues problem, BK? Not enough bodies in front of the net, not enough screens in front of the goaltender. Bring back Big Walt. Oh, that's a good one. Big Walt, put him on the ice, and then you call up the Kachuk boys and say, hey, we got a father-son game. Let's do it. What if you decided to bring back the former captain? Isn't Bacchus available? No, he's in Anaheim right now, and Anaheim's fighting for a could playoff they, spot. Could they lend him to us? <laughs> like, we only need, it's just a couple of weeks, and you, you guys don't really need Bacchus right now, right? Because we, yeah, we fine. do. It's fine. We, we really need Bacchus right at this exact moment. You know, they, they need grit. Roman Polak, remember, don't open up the Roman Ooh, Polak door. They need grit. Play him as a forward. I think you could get some. By I the way, like the most common one that we're getting, though, is the one and only... Jamie Rivers. Jamie Rivers. Yeah. And Joe Vitale. How have we not even mentioned You know, it? the Blues have told Joey before that if they need an emergency guy, he can suit up if they need him to. So if Joey's out, I think I'm the natural replacement for him on the broadcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Maybe. Maybe. Just the hockey guy, just bringing hockey guy intelligence to That's that right. uh, to that broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's either me or Jamie Rivers, and let's be honest. I mean, uh, between the two of us, you know, I, I would sway more in your direction, That's buddy. What, I'm glad that you agree what with me. What about Wayne Gretzky? He can uh, still play. I guarantee uh, Gretzky. Oh, no. What's not he good enough done? for you. Ty Ratty. Of what's course, he, he ever done in his own damn life? Well, Ty Ratty was once a 100-point scorer in the no, OHL. I'm talking about the, oh. the Gretz guy. The Gretz guy. Yeah, he is not the GOAT. Cam Jansen. Could throw Cam Jansen out there. He could, he he could, could give him a he few could minutes. He could give you some grit. I guess the real question here is, like, what's the worst that you could do to get five to seven minutes out of somebody? Like, how old would they have to be before they are no longer even capable of getting you five to seven minutes? Brad Boys could easily give you five to seven. Yeah, Brad Boys could give you Tony Twist could you oh, five oh, to seven? Yeah. Totally. Well, depends on what type of game you're, game you're wanting from Tony Twist. I mean, I just want him to go fight somebody. Well, he, he, can, he can hand that. Wait, are five, five of his seven minutes are going to be spent in the penalty box? I don't know if that's worth doing. That's fine. Sure, yeah, and then you're, not, you're basically <laughs> yeah, down a man still. You're in the same position. <laughs> no, but I took out their best man, too. Well, he's not fighting their best man. He's probably fighting their worst man. Why not? Tony Twist could find a way to make it happen. Yeah, he could, okay. but he also probably would, would kill somebody on the ice, so oh. we don't need that. Barrett Ooh. Jackman? Steve Ott? No, Steve, well... He could probably suit up I, and coach. I would 100% say take Steve out right you get now. Get a player coach on the ice? Yeah. Well, if we're going to do that, what Craig about Ruby? Yeah. Oh. Well, frankly, you could throw all three of them out there. Mike Van Ryan, heck, all four of them. Jim Monty, Montgomery. That's a great fourth Monty line. Monty could do it right now. That is a solid fourth line. That's Monty, Baruby, and Ott. That's a message-sending line Throw in right the there. big red dog whenever you need him, and you're good to go. Watch out, ladies and, and gentlemen. In all seriousness, that given what they're throwing out there right now on the third line, just yeah, go ahead and put him on the third line. Forget be, the fourth line. Just put, put him on the third line right about now. Five, six, one, eight. How about the real hollow notes? No, sir or madam. <laughs> we have the fake hollow notes. They'll be back sooner or later. Will they? Yeah, well, that, it was that four that to six never weeks. really got it off was, the ground, my man. It was four to six weeks. Ole Jokinen. There we go. Remember Ole Jokinen? That, that could help. The dude that saw the waffle kind of floating above his head when he was on the bench? That, that could... Maybe help. you have no idea who Ole Okunen is, do you, Alex? That could help. <laughs> that could help. He's saying it while he's trying to take a Scotty Upshaw. 
Oh, yeah. He's Scotty on a podcast. Upshaw. Scotty Upshaw. He's available. Like, he is the ultimate PTO player for the St. Louis Blues. Every year. What's he up to? He's doing a podcast right now. And I don't know. What else? It's, pretty, it's, a pretty success, it's a pretty successful podcast. I know he just talked to uh, Ryan O'Reilly the other day. I saw yeah. the video of it. So you're saying it's Ryan real. O'Reilly should be able to bring him in for a matchup. I mean, either have Ryan O'Reilly or Doug Armstrong call. I guess you could go either way. Okay, a couple of other ones that pop out to me. Um, Martin Havlat. I don't know if people remember this guy, but he played one game and he scored one goal with one shot. That's a 100% <laughs> success rate for the St. Louis Blues. So he would be an option. Pierre Turgeon. We all remember the Turge scored two goals in that Winter Classic game. Patrick Sharp. We should get Patrick Sharp a call. He was a Blackhawk. That is not allowed, BK. He could he could come back and that be a blue. Not allowed. Troy Brower was a Blackhawk, and then he came to St. Louis and was beloved here in St. Louis. That's now true. he wasn't coming out of retirement, but he he did go from Chicago to St. Louis. We could make this happen. Now we have overlooked the fact that the Cardinals did or the Blues did sign somebody a couple of weeks ago, right? Adam Wainwright. He's on the taxi squad. Am I incorrect there? There, I think he's a little busy right now, but you know who's not? Okay, well, look, how long is spring training? Travis Kelsey was at a, at a game recently. So was Patrick Mahomes. Maybe you sign those guys. They have some good chemistry. What position would Patrick Mahomes play? Probably Seems like center. a centerman. Yeah, probably center. 20 bucks says Patrick Kel- Mahomes can't Kelsey ice skate, would be though. a pretty solid right winger, I think. Oh, I on that. He would be a Pat Maroon. Just put his body right in front of the net. Kelsey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd be great. Yeah. 20 bucks says Patrick Mahomes can't skate, though. Let's get Jamie Rivers' thoughts on this. We'll cross things over coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now, here's BK and Ferrario. and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Do want to pass along a little bit of news. Uh, we mentioned in the last segment, Tiger Woods was involved in a single car accident earlier today out in LA. His agent has released a statement saying Tiger was involved in that accident where he suffered multiple leg injuries and he is currently in surgery. He adds that they thank you for your privacy and support. Yikes. So uh, we've seen a few pictures now of the accident. They're all over Twitter and all over the news if you want to check them out. Uh, it doesn't look great, um, to to be totally frank. So hopefully everything is all right. He's able to make it through this, but um, fingers crossed that he's okay. Uh, crossing things over with the fast lane. Jamie Rivers in studio. Jamie, Nothing like you, following that up. Yeah. Jeez, he's, been, he's been transitioning like this all I day. I came in here with energy. I was dancing to the music, yeah. and then I got to be like, I can't be happy now. Nope. Tiger's one of my favorite athletes of all time. And, uh, Buzz like Killington. Tiger. This, sucks. this he, sucks. Buzz Killington hasn't changed, oh, Jamie. Wow. All right. What's up, EK? So, How are we doing? Speaking I'm of. I'm doing all right, Jamie. I'm are doing you, all right. Are you sure? I am, yeah. We Is talked it, to Bruce Boshi earlier today, and he really brought my Boch. spirits up. Well, good. He was great. You needed that because I walk in on the text line here, and the text line actually not being mean to you, so that's a that's a victory. Yeah. Uh, but we have players of all different names oh, and yeah, sports. We have solved the what, problem. What have you guys done in here? We're fixing the Blues issues. Okay. Yeah, we so fixed JJ Watt's going to help that. Correct. Yeah. Well, Pat well, McAfee. Wouldn't Pat he? McAfee. Built uh, with the third. Built with the third. Yeah. How is he? Give us a scouting reporter. We got a goal uh, scorer on our hands. He's a, he's a lanky player okay. out there. Um, we'll call wiry out there. He, he likes to finish. Doesn't like to to pass the puck too much. Likes to finish. Uh, Jeff Burton. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> Jeff's good locker room guy. Well, Yuri Laterra? Depends on what Yuri kind of... Yuri Laterra. How much time has he got is left? Is he available? He actually hey, is available. Real, is he? He's in the KHL. Real he, question, though. not playing terrible either. Is he really? back on the stuff. Would Yuri Laterra be a solid distributor on this team? Uh, unfortunately, he might be too good of a distributor, and yeah. therefore you'd have a you hard time. You wouldn't have a lot of players then. Yeah, crossing you state do lines a lot of difficult time. for him. You do a lot of time, probably. Possibly. Yeah. But he is playing in the KHL, so is Dimitri Yaskin. He's actually MVP. playing like really well in yeah, the KHL. He's got 115 points in 110 games. Like, why are we not talking about this? We well, are. We are literally doing that exactly right now. We are. But he's under contract with those teams in Russia. You can get Most out of, of those. the good players are. No, you can't. Are you ask, sure? Ask Artemi Panarin right now how things are going when you're messing well, with the wrong people. That's like a that's a different contract. See, trust me, those people are involved in the, <laughs> those teams over there. <laughs> hey, I threw out Martin Havlat. Remember, one shot, one goal, one game for the Blues, Jamie. That was it, hundred percent. He marched off into the sunset. That's it. This league's too easy. What for What about me. that guy? You remember last year that guy <laughs> that was the uh, that guy that guy? Yeah, Jamie you know. Rivers. That guy. No, not that. Well, guy. he was the emergency goalie and he won to- a game. David Ayers? Yeah. Well, can, well we can, don't need goaltending. Can he play forward? No. Can he skate a little bit? No. Oh, he stops the no. pucks. He doesn't score the pucks. I mean, he he was just a replacement there. I We could put him somewhere else. No. Ty Ratty. Guys, we need bodies. Ty Ratty right now. What are we more worried about? Let me ask you this. What are we more worried about? Are we worried about the fact that we're running out of players? Or yes. the fact that, we, that you guys are questioning the players we have? Yes. Okay. I'm not questioning so the players. If we had to do a percentage... And you're leaning one way or the other. Is it more of the lack of the number of players or the quality of players? Uh, it, frankly, the, the quality, but I'm starting to get a little nervous about the quantity as well. Now, let's let's um, not forget Nathan Walker will be joining the team like very soon. I don't know if he can get into the next game. Craig said it'd be the road trip. Okay, so it'd be the road trip. Because it was a seven to, is it seven or ten day quarantine for the AHL players? Listen, I thought it was four negative tests. Really? That's what I thought it was, was if you had within a four or five day period, four negative tests that you're good to go. Are they now, not testing for the AHL? I well, guess I'm confused as to why it would require all of this but that's why I to think be able it, to get through it. That's why I, I thought it was, has to be some yeah, form of something. I that's why I thought just, it was hey, the quarantine. Guys, wing it. Yeah, like, hey, we'll, we'll figure this thing out as we go. But that's what? why I thought it was the quarantine, because you're bringing him from a different air. You're bringing him from a different region. He's been tested, but he's basically coming from Utica to yeah, St. Louis. Why would if, but if he's under him the like same four or five days yeah. in a row? I guess it's the transition, though, from getting from one place to the other. Alex, that's where you're being careful. Okay. Well, I'm asking. We've had this problem before with people who <laughs> not sportscasters, but people who make things up. And we have problems. We don't know what we're dealing Is that with. A shot at me? Yeah, it just—it seems not really. If you look beyond it, it's not really at you. It seems like we we <laughs> should the NHL should be able to make this pretty simple in that you've got the baseline. I, I I don't know what the issue is here, but you should have a baseline of these guys in the AHL. You have consistent negative tests. And if you want to bring them up, maybe it is like you have a couple of days where you make sure you you just as a kind of a stopgap. Two days while after you've traveled, let's get a couple of more negative tests. And then after that, I would think you would be good, but maybe maybe I'm off on that. Because that was the way that it was for baseball. Yeah. These guys were able to come up from the taxi squad. But I don't know. Knows? See, here's the thing is, I don't know. Obviously, the finances for the American Hockey League team are nowhere near what they are for the NHL team. So I don't know how often they're actually being tested. Is it once a week? Is it every other day? 
Are they winging it? I don't know. I actually haven't asked anybody those questions uh, because I didn't I would think, think the NHL would want to help that, though, because it, think... it is also helping their product by keeping it safe. So maybe that's why you have the taxi squad, because... Well, that was the thought behind the taxi squad was you have this reserve of players and sure. that, you know, hypothetically or realistically, you're like, ah, we'll never need more than that unless well, you're the Blues. Well, and then here we are. Here we are. With Pagansky in a top nine role now. He was He's top nine in my worries, though. He... He's, he's played perfect. great. He's been perfectly fine. You know who he looks like when he plays out there? Joey Vitale. <laughs> I see it. If he you does. Told Watch me him play. Though, I see it. If you guys told Goes me top going bar in... and misses? No, just his skating stride. Oh. If you guys told me coming into the season that Austin, that Pagansky was going to be a top nine winger for the Blues, I would have said, what the hell happened? Like, how, how did that take place? And that is not a shot against Pagansky. but I this team was deep as hell with their forwards. And now you're getting guys that were AHL players or taxi squad players that you were expecting are, are in significant roles for the Blues. I mean, Sammy Blay was a healthy scratch early in the season, and now he is on your top line. That's It's just crazy how far we have come because of all the injuries that, that we're dealing with right now. It's a bad situation. There's no doubt. But guess what? Nobody cares. We care, okay? And I know that Craig Berube cares, but everybody else around the league, they don't care. They're like, hey, guess what? Maybe we can rack up some wins against this team. Colorado just did it. Colorado just had, I think it was six or seven guys that were on the injured list. Now, they weren't as long as the Blues had, but they went about two weeks with like five or six of their starting players. Jamie, what's coming up today on the Fastlane, man? I'm assuming you guys are getting into this. What else is coming up today? Well, yeah, we're we're, we're going to talk about Jack Flaherty and some of the things he had to say at camp today. Uh, we've got uh, three big questions about Ponce de Leon. We're going to see, you know, we'll sort some things out there. We're going to have the meeting of the minds. We've got Joy Vitale coming up. Lots of Blues talk and yeah, Cardinals, you know, they're getting started, so we'll, we'll talk about them. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. I sat on a toilet, and nope. a black bear ate my anus. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.